And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. and Chris Honeywell have finished Clone Wars twice and Rebels once. Now they move on to Resistance and beyond. I'm Gene Gene, the MC Machine, and this is J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Resistance. In this episode... When Niku adopts a strange sea creature as a pet, he gets uh, he gets way more than he bargained for. There will be Kaz is flirting with a lesbian. That bitch makes an appearance, and we are in pure rapture and joy and delight because Niku and Bebo are precious. We're talking about Bebo this week. Hi, I'm Hope Molinax, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host Chris Honeywell. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. But we are not alone this week. We are joined by two of my absolute favorite people in the entire world. Like, I, I know I'm like, oh, that's the opening of the show, blah, blah, blah. But, like, honestly, like, two of my favorite people in the entire world. They are the host of Friends of the Force podcast and are on a journey to interview every cast member of Star Wars Resistance. I am so happy to welcome Brad and Sarah. Hi. Hello. Hi. How is it going? Doing good. And you guys have actually interviewed both the voice of Niku and the voice of Bebo. It's true, yes. Because mm-hmm. our, <laughs> our Star Wars Resistance show is called Bebo's Book Report. So we're like, how funny would it be if we interviewed both Bebo and Niku? That'd be a pretty good book report, in my opinion. And it turned out that we got an A+. I gave ourselves an A+. but it was. I great. mean, I also gave us an A+. So overall, we we really... <laughs> we won. We we got the grade. Um Great work on our behalf. I never, I, mean. I never did good on book reports, to be fair. So it was an improvement. <laughs> I did. So this, I had to really, you know, keep keep up the the, keep up the, the level of, of work and ethic and um, yeah, and I and I did and I did. So, <laughs> so how many people from Resistance have you guys interviewed? We have interviewed eight cast members, plus uh, writer Stephanie Folsom who wrote um, the High Tower episode, which I know, Hope, you're a huge and fan Secrets of. Secrets and Holograms. Yeah. Yeah. The High Tower is actually, like, definitely one of my favorite episodes. I, Chris was like, Hope, we need to, like, wrap up this episode. I'm like, but the social commentary. It's a great article. Yeah, that's a great article that you that you wrote, which is over on our website. So that was, that was like, when me and Sarah were editing it, we were like, oh, my God, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do, well, do you guys have a great writer. Oh, go ahead. Do you guys have a voice actor that's like your great white whale that you're like that either is just reclusive and not going to talk to anybody or that you haven't cha- been able to chase down yet or like. Wasn't that originally Josh Brenner for you guys? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, but I would like sounds, to throw it, it out. It sounds like, like you got him, though, for the way Hope's putting it. Um, We did. And yeah. I would love David Diggs to answer an email. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot but that's like space. a personal thing that's like that's like me <laughs> liking to work outside of his of, of resistance too i i I would say like maybe uh instead of david diggs who i feel like is a very unlikely uh whale that we're hunting currently uh we would really love to talk to jason hightower who is the voice of emmanuel doza 
but he yeah. is so hard to get in touch with. Like he has no information out there. Um, but he has some really fun uh, videos with Christopher Sean on their Instagram, um, which you haven't, if you haven't seen those, you should all go watch them. It, it's like really funny and really weird, but worth it. So I have to share, this is a, a humble brag of me. Um, so as you, as you guys know, I have my own Etsy store and stuff, and I've been having this ducktail shirt. And Bobby Moynihan, I bought one of my shirts. Oh, <laughs> my God. So, That's so awesome. I so, love that for you. I you deserve you. it. Thank you. <laughs> I, was, I, I was like Robert Moynihan, and I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> he left a little five-star review on my store. So if you look at the Robert Moynihan spot, I mean. <laughs> See, there you go. You be like, um, you promote your store and be like, Bobby Moynihan gave it five stars. I don't want to. If Bobby Moynihan gave five person. stars, so can you buy a shirt. I don't want to be that person because, like, Danny Pudi owns my shirt too. So all I'm missing mm. is Ben Schwartz of the triplets. But like, I just, I don't want to be that person. Be like the neighbor. I just, I don't know. I don't. Whatever. <laughs> that's, that, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I can't blame yeah. you for that. I'd probably be the same way. Well, if someone has never listened to Friends of the Forest before, what is it? Well, I think that has changed quite a lot since it started because like I was sort of the only host for a while and I think as Sarah and I kind of started doing more podcasting together you know she hosted Bebo's Book Report with me and now she pretty much hosts the main show with me but it's essentially a place where we talk all the things in Star Wars that bring us the most joy because we recognize that there are critical discussions to be had there's very important discussions to be had you know whether it's fandom or real life stuff so, you know, we talk about the good and the bad, but we like to mostly focus on the good and the things that, like, excite us the most. So we talk about, you know, Star Wars publishing a lot. We talk about Resistance a whole lot, and we're going to do more of that this year. Um, we talk about, like, our favorite movies. We did, like, Rogue One and Revenge of the Sith last year. But really, it's a, it's a great place that if you want to, you know, be in a community of kind of similar-minded fans that, you know, just want to find joy and you know acknowledge the parts that aren't so good sometimes but also just you know revel in the good parts that's that's what we do sarah i don't know if you want to add anything to that but um, um i enjoy podcasting with you. <laughs> it's brad's baby and he's let me tag along and be a part of it and i'm really grateful to be here and um i it's just a fun show where we come together and we talk about all our favorite stuff and we love books so we're really we're really in the books right now so that's that's the most fun for me <laughs> right for, in, in this moment for our listeners um because i know chris doesn't go into the books as much and i talk on them here and there if you want really good coverage of the star wars books that are happening right now listen to brad and sarah show to be perfectly honest like um i have been adoring your high republic coverage um and it's just it's so good and they usually do like spoiler free first and then they deep dive so if you just kind of want to get an idea of what's going on with the high republic um check out their episodes like i i can't recommend them enough because i i adore your show so yeah and i think the important thing too is like there's a lot of star wars and you know we obviously as like podcasters like you know we can't cover every single thing out there so we really like to just focus on the things that like are the most important to us and i think that makes us like the most excited um so that's why i have a lot of fun doing it it's it's great but i appreciate those kind words well so speaking of shows what is it about resistance that you both love so much why do you love this series and also to throw out why do you both love niku so much because actually when i was scheduling the guests you guys were the first people and i was like i bet they want bebo <laughs> like you were the first people i thought of because i was like you guys are going to talk about niku here we go for me 
resistance is just a wonderful escape. And it's an escape, but it also tells an important story. And it doesn't, you know, it tells a story with a weight and with importance, and it teaches you lessons, all while being fun and light and joyous and just a relief from the stressors of life. And I love Niku so much. <laughs> my Skype name, so we're on Skype recording this, my Skype name, like the like tag is Niku Stan. And I <laughs> logged back in today and saw that and I was like, <laughs> correct. <laughs> for me, the reason I love Niku is because he is just so himself and so sure of himself and unapologetically himself. And he loves friendship and caring for others and being the best engineer he can be. And I strive to have his honesty and his caring. And that's what I love about him. He makes me smile. He always has a positive attitude. What about you, Brad? Yeah, for me, Star Wars Resistance is, in my mind, something in Star Wars animation that took like a little bit of a risk. Like It was such a different style of shading uh, cell shading for like an animated show that we hadn't really seen and i think that initially turned a lot of people off but like if you were able to get past that and just like watch the show for what it was you saw that it has a lot of heart and i think it, like in terms of found family being such a big concept for star wars i think maybe with the exception of rebels like star wars resistance might do it the best it might honestly be the best example of found family because like even like in rebels like everybody knows each other's motives for the most part but like in star wars it's really this ragtag group of people who go from having all sorts of different secrets and fears and then like you know getting divided and like trying to figure out like how they can become a family again so like i think that's really unique about the show and yeah niku specifically i mean unbridled joy even in the darkest moments like there's some witty thing he'll say there's some heroic deed he'll do and i think that's really admirable that he wants to see the good in the world, even though there is a lot of bad. And I think, you know, nowadays the world kind of feels like crap. And I think it's a good outlook that we should all have is just, you know, try to find the good in it and fight for what's good. And I think he does that pretty well. So you both hated the episode. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, you invite us this on and I was like, gosh, I'm going to have to watch this one again. Oh, I guess so. And so it was a struggle for me. And I know we're going to be here for a little bit to discuss it. And I have just a lot of critical thoughts and a, a lot, a lot to say and a lot to talk about. So, um, Guys, get ready for a lot of negative, mean things. <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've got 15 physics books here telling you about how that sea creature is physically impossible. <laughs> you know what? You have the physics books. I, I have the, the criticism of the characters and the animation and the storyline and everything else. How dare oh, I they? saw it on Excellent. a video on YouTube, so therefore it's true. Like yeah, Niku, Niku Vozo ruined my childhood. So now <gasps> I'm going to complain about it on Twitter you for too? four and a half years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, Same. Can't Jesus believe him. Christ. But I, I hear Niku okay. Vozo's over. Sebastian Stan's going to be recasted as Niku, so don't worry. <gasps> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Sebastian Stan as Niku live action. Let's make it happen. Wait, Put him in the um, costume. I can't that. Sorry. Can we imagine that for a second? <laughs> This is a Sebastian Stan um, cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is played by Sebastian Stan. Psych. We're actually talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier meets Niku, Stan, Niku Vozo for the next two hours. So get ready. We're inserting him into the MCU. It's fun. Just, just imagining like big, like very muscular Sebastian Stan as like 
wiggly, like, noodle boy Niku, but he's just, like, this huge guy, and, like, Cass is just like, ugh. <laughs> hey. Sarah, when we interviewed, when we, so we interviewed Christopher Sean last summer, and I think we asked him, because he posts a lot of, like, gym selfie pictures, and we asked Chris, like, Christopher, we asked him, like, who would you, like, who would Kaz uh, choose as his workout buddy? And I think he said Niku. Didn't he say Niku? Like, so that would, like, make sense. I, that don't, would make sense. I don't recall, but it's it's truly possible. Um, because he might have said Niku. that, like, he would always, <laughs> he would always, like, be really encouraging. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. Niku goes I, I mean, I could be making that up, but um, I, I think that's what he yeah. said. So we're, we're on the something here is my point. So that's why you guys have to go check out their interview over at Friends of the Forest podcast <laughs> with Christopher Sean. So it's actually Thank, a very thanks great interview. <laughs> it's actually a, a, an it's awesome interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is everyone ready to get to the episode? Oh, yeah. I'm Chris, ready. You know right. I'm ready. <clears throat> Bebo is the 12th episode of Star Wars Resistance, and it aired on January 13th, 2019. It was written by Paul Giacopo and directed by Bosco Ng. Some extra information for you. Bebo is voiced by Bob Bergen. His other works include being the official audio double for Mark Hamill, meaning he's voiced Luke Skywalker in multiple projects. He's Lama Sue in The Clone Wars, and he's the official voice actor for Porky Pig, including the upcoming Space Jam movie. Bebo and his mother are called Rockna. Rockna. That's what they are. They're big seed. I say crack and it's fine, whatever. Um, in this episode, we see more of the seagull creatures that live on Castellon. And it was a design choice where creatures like Bebo and his mom and the seagulls all have four eyes. It was a design choice to make it the more non-sentient species of Castellon have extra sets of eyes. And it's also a nod to the planet's two moons. And finally, there's a new species created for the show. And it's a green alien in a red spacesuit. And this happened in the market scene where Kaz and Sonara was like, it's a Kraken! Or like, nobody cared until the Kraken arms came out, and then the guy was like, ah. Um, this guy in the red spacesuit has no mouth. As such, he can be seen in the background throughout the show looking very forlorn at snacks and drinks because he has no way of eating snacks and drinks. He gets his sustenance through the hoses and, and tanks that are part of his suit, and in this episode, he can be seen signing to a fellow Colossus resident to run away as the Rocknar are attacking the marketplace. <laughs> But I kind of liked that idea. I was like, I totally missed that. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Sign language in Star Wars. <laughs> you know, I actually just picked that up on the episode today when I watched it. Amazing. It's amazing stuff. He's so cute looking, too. I gotta say. Mm-hmm. I love him. He's my new favorite. You know who's not cute looking? Her? Bebo's mom. No. How dare you? No. <laughs> well, uh, that's according not... to, to um, Tam, so... No, okay, so here you guys go. Bebo's mom, not bad. Not bad. (laughs) Is that yoga? Here's here's your complimentary spray bottles for each of you. Oh, And and if it gets too much, just be like, here, Yoda, (laughs) let's demonstrate. Hi, Yoda. (laughs) No, no spray, Yoda. Oh. (laughs) Well, behave, we have guests here, so no talking about, Mm. like, Moist fleshlights or anything. No, Yoda fleshlights. No. (laughs) Yoda. Okay. Giving up Yoda has on the fleshlight. Yoda, no more flesh. You've learned a thing or two from the Drangir when you were in the High Republic. So no more. No more meat. (laughs) Nothing else. 
That was really inappropriate. High Republic. Mm, High Republic it was. Yoda was there. Mm. (gasps) Oh, did you you enjoy the High Republic, Yoda? Yes. Was it really um, smoky and blazy? Yes, wink, wink, yes. I actually kind of like that better than my question that I wrote. (laughs) So, Yoda, other than your battle ostrich, which we know that you have a battle ostrich in the Tartakovsky clone, have you ever had any cute, disgusting... He was a mighty fighter. Long live that battle ostrich that you had. Mm, Delicious. Um, Also, shout out to Tartakovsky's Clone Wars coming to the Disney Plus. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So we can all see Yoda's battle ostrich again. Um, have you ever had any cute little disgusting pets like Bebo Yoda? Oh, any? yes. Always. Always. Yo- many, many taken residence on Yoda's body. Yes. <laughs> <gasps> like Mama the Hut? S- Mama the Hut, too large to take residence on Yoda's body, she is not. But you took residence <laughs> on her body, didn't you? We know how you feel about Mama the Hut. Yoda may have visited for a while, like bed and breakfast, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but are your little pets, like, cute and moist and... Moist. Always moist, yes. Cute? Well, it, it, it's the matter of opinion, yes. <laughs> well, balance. <laughs> How moist was moist? Moist. The moistest. Moist little creatures that live on the like really spot. moist. Overly moist. Very moist. Moist. I don't like the word moist. It's I know, that's right. It gets everywhere. Anyway, so this is a podcast on the word moist. Many people <laughs> like to say moist, yes. Moist. Like Bebo's moist, or is he like... Oh. Damp. Damp? Yeah. Mm, clammy, oh, maybe? Like slimy. Maybe, yeah. maybe clammy. That's my maybe. Yeah. I feel like he could play like um, shuffleboard or curling with Bebo, and he would just go sliding <laughs> across. The Warm-blooded or cold-blooded? Mm-hmm. He could squeeze through small spaces. Um, get to where you need to get him. Mm-hmm. He's useful. Sounds like Yoda. Mm-hmm. Well, Yoda, I'm very proud of you for behaving for our guests and not disgustingly being gross. So I will not. Don't want to see you. Yoda's pets then, huh? No. no. Okay. No, where where are oh. the pets? Are they on by, you now? By the tattoo they are. Mm, oh, okay. See. Okay. We don't need to see your tattoo, Yoda. Please go. Okay. Have, thank you. Uh, thank you. You're so uh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> go on. Go feed your pets. Uh, Bye. Bye, Yoda. Bye, Yoda. Uh, it's nice seeing uh, you. <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's what happens when you're in the High Republic for too long. You just kind of yeah. lose it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll do oh, some but... stuff to you, that's for sure. Do you two want to hear something really disgusting? Mm. I mean, I'm here now, so I mean, I guess I'm in for <laughs> <now. laughs> Very slowly in Yoda's voice, say moist, very long and slow and gross. Moist. Yeah, there's a few of those, too. No, no, I'm asking you to do it now. Oh, you mean like, <laughs> moist. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to erase that from my brain space. No offense, Chris. No, I have to live with it.
Jessica did a great job. I must share my no, it's a, I, yeah, I take it as a compliment. That's that was the attendant effect. So yeah. the Yoda and Yaddle fic. We have a whole thing where like Yoda and hates Yaddle and like she secretly tried to destroy them and work with Palpatine. Oh. We're not oh. really sure what happened between the two of them, but yeah. We think they're old lovers. Piecing know. it together. Mm-hmm. We're getting <laughs> there. We're getting there. It's... Piecing well, together a lot of Yoda's history. <laughs> is everyone ready for Act One? Oh yeah. Sarah, are you good? Yes, indeed. Chris, you good? I'm ready. Feel free to laugh. Uh, I mean, unless it's not funny, then you don't have to laugh. I don't know. I, I laugh at myself. Whatever. All right. <clears throat> Act one. We open with Kaz and Miku heading down to the scavengers, which I later found out was salvagers. So whatever. <laughs> I didn't change it. The salvagers area of the Colossus, where pirate mom Sonara San is waiting for them. She's pulling up an old ship from the ocean for them for parts for the fireball. And Kaz always trying to impress Sonara, is all like, well, you see here, my big military brain knows for a fact that this is the blah blah ship from the Clone Wars, and I'm hot and I'm smart. And Sonara, who is already secretly dating Tam, is like, wow, (laughs) you weirdly, yes, I know, right? They're so cute girlfriends. Wow. Uh, where, where I lost my spot. Oh, Sonara is like, wow, you weirdly know a lot of detailed military history for a person who isn't supposed to know anything about that, and you're not suspicious at all. And <laughs> Kaz pulls out a, tab, a tub going, I brought you food. Love me. But before Sonara can shut him down again, they hear the smallest, saddest little sound calling out to them. It's pure. It's innocent. It's wholesome. It's Bebo. And Bebo crawls out of the wreckage, and both Kaz and Sonara are rude. They are rude to the small little creature, saying mean things like it smells bad. But Niku, who is the best boy, sees the creature and loves it immediately. And he names it Bebo and decides that they will love each other and be best friends forever, to the horror of Kaz and Sonara. Later (laughs) on the day, Bebo's running amok in Team Fireball's home as they're trying to work. And best boy Niku is trying to keep his new friend under control. But Bebo is a baby and he wants to eat everything and he's a growing boy. And everything, he wants to only eat things that are horrible for the environment, like ship parts and fuel. So great on fighting climate change on Castellan. Horrible for everyone trying to run a mechanics place. Bebo is trying to get into everything, and he even tries to kill Bucket, but Niku loves him so much and says that they put up with Kaz's early 20s tendency to put on far too much Axe body spray so they can suck it up for Bebo. <laughs> that is until Yeager comes in and sees the little guy and goes, oh, no, I have a very strict no pet rule. And Bebo's like, well, you got to keep Kaz! <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Bebo makes Yigu so very happy, so Yigu decides to give him one chance because even Yigu can't deny Niku's precious face. During all of this, the part for Team Fireball and Kaz got for the. What did I write? Uh, the part for the Fireball that Tam and Kaz got for the Fireball. What the fuck did I write? So Kaz is like, I'm gonna go try my luck again with Sonara and talk to her and tell her she's pretty and she smells nice and I mean not horrible like my axe body spray. And he runs out of there. <laughs> and Tam is like, that boy's gonna go flirt with a lesbian. <laughs> my lesbian, we're dating now. 
<laughs> down at the salvager's place, which is about this time where I realized it was the salvager's place. Pirate face Kragen calls Sonara and he's like, girl, those pilots that brought you in there, they're resistant spies. And Sonara's <gasps> like, oh, the name of the show. Of course they're resistant spies. <laughs> I should have known something was me- weird about the main character, but I need more proof. <laughs> and because he's the main character, Cash shows up at that exact moment. So Sonara hangs up on Kragen and Kragen's like, Hitch hung up on me and it's all like hey Kaz hi welcome glad you came down here it's wonderful to see you again I love that body spray you have on today you want to hang out with me with no suspicious reasons at all and Kaz looks her dead in the eye and goes yes yes I do and they head out on a little skiff thing to the ocean meanwhile Evil continues to cause adorable mayhem all over Yeager's garage. Don't take that out of context. Um, and Yeager <laughs> does. <Or. laughs> Sorry, but he's pretty slimy. He is pretty slimy. And, and Yeager... smelly. But he's cute, so he has that going for him. And so... what? Oh, I thought I heard a cat. Hi, there is no, a cat. That was actually Hi. Bebo in your apartment. Can you, give me home. Can you give me a second to finish this act and then I will let you outside? When did you even get in here? I didn't even know you were in here. Here, I have a cat now. Um, where are we? Uh, you can lick my arm while I finish. Meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Bebo's causing mayhem and Niku's just about had it in like the 15 minutes that Niku owned his pet. So he tells Niku to get rid of Bebo. Niku is like, ah! Yeager, sir. I have worked my little green horns off every day here, and I put up with Kaz for you. And I don't complain. In fact, I'm a delight. I have never asked anything of you. So if you must rid so if I must rid you of Vivo, then I would rid you of myself as well. And everyone is shocked. And at that moment, Vivo dramatically flings himself out of Niku's arms and runs, and Niku's like, my Bebo! And hurries after him in a swell protective love. Tam starts to follow, but Yeager stops her. I cannot see you around your head, child. Uh, furry child. Uh, <laughs> and, but Tam is having none of this. She points right to Yeager and says, It's Niku. He is truly the best of us. And I will put up with Kaz's bullshit for the last 11 episodes. <laughs> and I'm going to help Niku, and I advise that you should too. And she runs out. During all this, Kaz and Sonara are out in the open seas. Sonara puts on her most chiming face and starts asking about the pilots who rescued her a few episodes ago. She points out that she can tell that Kaz is a person who loves to keep secrets. And Kaz tries not to panic, which fails, and he's like, Nope, no secrets here! I'm an open book! Lots of openness happening right here! What's a spy? But suddenly, (laughs) something big bumps the boat, and the sea creatures... There's a big old sea creature heading for the Colossus. What did you guys think of Act yes. 1? But I, I'm going to unplug my headphones so I can take this child, this fuzzy child, out the door. <laughs> Give me a second. The child. Go ahead and start talking about Act 1. Bye, folks. Well, I particularly, Bye, cat. I particularly love Act 1, um, especially the end there when Kaz and Sonara are on the boat together. And Kaz is like, I have a secret, and it's I have no secrets. And I'm like, that's a weird way of saying that. That... Only people who have secrets say stuff like that. Kaz, I don't know how Kaz didn't get called out sooner. Like, 
He, he is so sus. Our theory is he's so bumbling that they're just like, yeah, he couldn't possibly, if he's a spy, he'd be so bad. There's just no way he could, you know, they don't even think of him as a spy because they just think of him as sort of this bumbling greenhorn. Yeah. Except for the he ones who are getting to know him. The one like Sonara is definitely, you know, several layers beyond him in human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I feel like my thing with Sonara is that I actually like headcanon age her up like five years um, over Kaz and the crew. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what their actual ages are, but I see them just as... Um, quite a bit older um like late 20s 30s probably well like probably like mid to late mid to late 20s um sonara over over kaz and crew who are a bit younger but um i I think kaz is early 20s because Tora's 16 and so there was some discussion Um, when like people were shipping Tora and kaz together like she's underage oh (laughs) huh I didn't think but of that. He, he might be 19. Kaz age. Really <laughs> I, I, think I just Sonara, make them all up in my brain. <laughs> Sonara's going to seem older because she's been a pirate and she's just exactly. had to. Also, it's her hairline. Yeah, it's her hairline and her face shape. Um, They're just older than Kaz. That's just how it works. Uh, mm-hmm. Her hairline says, I'm older than Kaz. But I think for this first act, I derailed myself here. This first act, I have eyes for one character. Like, I care about one character on this show. I care about them all. But the real character that I care about is Niku. And so that moment right at the beginning when we get that, it is joy, it is purest rapture, (laughs) is the best, the best, the best thing. And we also get a little bit of Niku saying, I like food, which is just a a great moment any any time of day. Um, And so I think this is a, a fun first act. And... You know, it's interesting to see how everybody initially reacts to Bebo, which is not not great. Pretty bad. I see, you, I see that you also noted the, oh, he kisses back. <laughs> oh, he kisses back. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that moment, I, I, just, I just imagine Josh Brenner in the booth, like, doing this scene and then responding to, responding <laughs> to himself as the character with that it's it's great stuff i mm, iconic every time i love when yeager like threatens him to give up bebo and he's like he can have my bunk my rations my weekly payment i'm like what is bebo gonna do with your weekly payment <laughs> he's gonna get to the so gambling confused. parts of the yeah his and z plays a few bets like, oh my hey, god <laughs> yeah bebo's think... actually very he's very um fiscally uh intact uh, he's got no student loan debt um, you know, he doesn't, he's, he lives there rent free. He's got the life. Honestly, I, I need that, that Bebo life. That's what but we all his, his problem is his gambling problem, which would have been covered in season three is Bebo has an entire yeah. gambling problem. Act. They have to mm-hmm. say Bebo well, from he's the got huts. a domineering mother too. Let's not, you know, <laughs> that, that yeah. of the room. She was yeah, actually I, pissed because she thought he was going to the casino again. She was like, I need to get him. Give me, be, give me back my child. That would be funny if he was if Bebo was actually her husband and he was like this henpecked husband. <laughs> He's just like, oh geez, she found me. <laughs> Chris, Here, Bebo, your... I'll do the right thing. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so, Chris, what were some of your thoughts about Act One? Um, I thought it like the 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 problem with the the problem with Bebo that I think they faced when they were creating the character 
was they needed something that grossed out people, but if they made him truly like gross looking, it would be, you know, they needed him to be cute and gross. So they invented the smell aspect of him, which I think is really smart because we've already, we've already established that Nico like Nico likes gross. It's like my, when I was a kid, we had a lab dog, a, a white lab and, she liked to go down by the creek and find dead fish and just roll in them. It was like perfume. She would just roll in them, a roadkill. Roadkill, she would just be like the happiest dog in the world, roll it in this roadkill. Oh, my God. And come, the, and come into the living room at night and plop down in front of the wood stove and just heat up and just stink no. the place up. Oh, and my. It was horrifying, you know, but she was a beloved dog. So it was it was this just like, oh, get out of here. Oh, gee. But, you know, so so it makes sense that that everybody can be, you know, that that Niku's the only one that that loves Bibu because everybody can identify with just how awful like a rank smell is so i'm i'm assuming bebo probably smells like dead fish or something like that you know or has some like protective gland or like skunk gland <laughs> or something but like you can see everybody like and before he gets near somebody they're already like scrunching up their nose and going just like what oh geez well this so, show already has one horror creature which is buggles <laughs> Yeah, but they didn't. It, Buggles <laughs> doesn't have to be cute. To, to Buggles fuel. can be kind of disturbing. Bibu had to be cute. Had had to be cute, and we can't smell Bibu, so we're so like to the Scratch to the viewer, it's, it's like oh how cute, but it makes sense that everybody else is being a jerk to him because he just yeah. smells bad. That's I love a great savage, point. I love the savage lie that Kaz actually smells. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that also comes to my uh, another working class first in Star Wars is somebody sniffing their armpits, which is a common movie thing. You know, when somebody talks about someone smelling, you see the self-conscious person smell their armpits. Never happened in Star Wars before. Ding, ding. Another first in, <laughs> in Resistance. That's a very important gotta, Star Wars thing. Thank you. I got to wonder, <laughs> does, that. does Kaz's Axe body spray smell worse or Bebo? Oh, that's that body spray. I yeah. I was you're like, right. I was thinking, you're right. Like, no matter how um, bad Bebo smells, I would never want to smell that eighth grade locker room like sweaty oh. boy smell of like, you know how I'm gonna go to class next? I'm gonna just lather myself in Axe body spray, and I'm like, nobody wants that, Chad. Okay. I used to Stop. work in a comic book store, and grown fucking ass adults would come in smelling like that, and would just stink up my store. And I was like, I'd rather have the people smell like cigarettes coming over I, you. Well, that, it's funny that you say that because I used to work at a bar and like there was a there was a time and women used to do it, too, because they had they had the ver I don't know if it was actually acts, but they had sprays for women, too. And the the thing that people would do is they would go outside to smoke a cigarette. And then before they came inside, they would just hose themselves down top to <laughs> bottom, just like you were putting on bug spray. And yeah. walk back, yeah, and then like five that. or ten people would walk back into the bar just freshly axed up. Yeah, you know, yep. I want to say for the ladies, it wasn't it wasn't the axe, but you know, like because axe is kind of a men's thing. It was um, Victoria's Secret cucumber melon. Oh, um, <laughs> yes, it was always something very fruity and flowery. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. 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 Oh,
There was a whole line in the uh, early to mid 2000s. It was like cucumber wellin. Um, oh gosh, I I had a whole thing of these things. Uh, like there were a little sample pack. Um, and this is not important, but I just I just have this memory. My favorite one was the purple one. There's purple one and the red one. Those were the best. But I don't remember I the name. Flashed back to being able to smell my big sister in the next room. <laughs> like that repressed memory just like unearthed itself and it's my brain smells are one of the strongest <laughs> memory triggers mm-hmm. i don't doubt it yeah so one moment that i really wanted to talk to about a little bit was the moment where niku stands up to eager um because niku has proven in the last 11 episodes that he's an incredibly hard worker we know that he cares for other people he paid for cal and ayla he's been paying for kaz he never complains he puts up with a lot so i love that moment where niku draws a line in the sand for himself because we haven't seen him take anything for himself and it really drove home this point of how much bebo means to him which is i think why got tam on his side because Bibu is Bibu. Niku is a selfless person. And I think that's such an important moment to show how serious he is that he, for the first time in 12 episodes, is thinking of himself. Mm. Well, yeah, too. And I mean, I don't, are we allowed to like, like mention facts about Niku that like you learn later on oh, yeah, in he the just series? Hasn't seen, he hasn't heard, seen the last oh, two yeah. episodes. Yeah, so yeah, season cool. two moves, all of season two is good except for the last two episodes. And we cool. do look at the show as people who have seen the show. All the show. So, okay. So awesome. we talk just about like now. hints for the future episodes and stuff. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah so, so in the very we, last uh, episode, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Niku dies. Uh, no. So um, in the episode, ever. the engineer also, also directed by the man himself, Bosco Ng, just saying, Woo-hoo. just putting it out there, Bosco. I know you both love uh, we love you, Bosco. Anyways, so we learn in that Bosco Bop that uh, Niku's parents, uh, they were Bantha uh, milk farmers, and they basically like worked day and night to send Niku to, to uh, engineering school. So like, I don't imagine that Niku had a pet growing up. Probably because his family couldn't afford it, I would imagine. Not that they were poor, but they were probably, you know, like working middle class and had to make every dollar count and like, you know, make sure they could send their kid to school and save up for that specifically. So I think there's also that emotional element of like Niku not necessarily having those sorts of privileges growing up and like now finding something that he sees a lot of joy in and is like, you know, maybe he's always wanted a pet and like this is his chance and it's so cute. Nobody else wants it. So like what better pet to have than the one that nobody wants, but I do great i want it and like for yeager to kind of want to take that away from him might sting a little bit you know and i think there's that a little bit of that at play too um there's just that like you know big emotional connection of like finally something he he might have wanted his whole life that just because like something you said about that i'm just like oh my god symbolism my symbolism brain went off where you're talking about like being bebo being a pet that nobody wants isn't that team fireball you know um kaz is getting away from this life that he doesn't want tam is trying to get this life that out of this life she doesn't want she wants to be a pilot she wants to be something more yeager is trying to escape his past trauma and this past that he doesn't want so they all are bringing something to this table of either aspects of their lives or family baggage or something that they just don't want anymore which is why they're the found family and oh well, yeah, yeah. I and mean then, myself as bad. <laughs> I think I think Niku is the one that would easily embrace kind of the less, uh, I don't know what the word would be, like 
less uh, like well-kept aspects of people's lives. Like he would kind of allow people to open up to those parts of themselves, like those parts that they want to like forget or reject and not remember. Likewise, like Bebo is something that everybody wants to just like eject and get rid of and like, you know, hide him away. But Nico's was like, no, you should embrace it. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's part of what makes joy joy. Like, you know, I want to, I want to bring this into our family. Yeah. And like you said, like everybody's hiding something. Right. And I think that speaks to the fact that, I don't think they can come together as a family until all those secrets are out there. And like, as we've seen in star Wars, like uh, hiding things is like never a good thing. It always leads to the bad mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the big events that happen that, you know, transform the series into something worse. I mean, so something we've talked about multiple times in the show is how, how easily Kaz could have been Rucklin and how easily mm. Tam and Tori could have been each other. Cause we were talking last episode, which was secret, I think secrets and holograms. And we were talking about how Tora guessed that he is a spy, that Kaz is a spy, and Taz, Kat, Taz, Kaz uh, doesn't confirm it, but his actions do. And we were discussing, like, if he had done something like that for Tam, would her trajectory be different? Um, mm. Like, Recklin and, and Kaz are both very similar character types, but the difference is Kaz is kind and Rucklin is cutthroat, but they come from very similar backgrounds and uh, cut from the same cloth, and everything's a series of choices uh, and resistance, and everybody are pretty much going on parallel paths that could or could not cross, and just a single decision changes their entire trajectory. Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to... I'm looking at something in your notes, Sarah. Um, yeah. Is it the scenario one that I see you... Um, oh, that's just where my, my mouse is at. Uh, okay. Um, um I wanted to talk about the Niku morals cause that's a really good, like he, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I want to, can you go into that a little bit more? So, yeah, you talked about how we get this moment of, of Niku really standing up for himself in front of, in front of Yeager and willing to give up as, as Brad kind of recited the line, willing to give up, um, everything, uh, for, for Bebo and, it tells us so much about who Niku is in that moment and really reveals the strength of his character. Um, he knows who he is. He knows where his morals are. And he's ultimately not going to compromise on it, even if everybody else around him doesn't um, understand his point of view. And I think the beauty of this episode and the beauty of this moment is that he is going to follow his path and everyone around him, you know, works to understand, um, you know, like uh, Tam is along for the ride. Like once he kind of loses uh, Bebo, right. And, and she is comforting him, but, and you know, never, not everybody comes around right away, but the strength of his character in that moment is the, the seed that gets planted to allow people to see who he truly is and the strength of his character. And I love somebody who's going to stick to exactly who they are and not compromise about it and not um, not apologize for who they are and is going to say that I belong here, this is my space, and these are my morals. And and so, like, Niku in that moment, I love it. I desire to be the self-confident king that he is <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that moment. You know, I want to take up that space and, and advocate for um, the things that are important to me in the same way that he does in that moment. I, th- I think that moment, too, like... Uh, early on in the show, Hope and I had a few discussions about like whether 
Niku, you know, he's sort of like the, the, and uh, we're doing Gravity Falls too, and there's a character named Seuss in that who's sort of on a similar vein, sort of like the Zen, he's more of a Zen master, but he's sort of a, just a pure character, you know, just a, mm-hmm. you know, good. And whether Niku was, we were like, uh, well, I, I was like, how, you know, he seems a bit naive. <clears throat> to be somebody who's working in a condition that's, you know, with lots of sketchiness going on and stuff. But in this episode, you actually see that he's self-aware that, you know, he's probably taken as goofy or overly optimistic or naive. But he's he's aware of it. Like, And, and it was when he just looked at Jaeger and was like, hey, look, I don't ask anything of you, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. he realizes you know, I'm sure Jaeger probably thought to himself a few times, you know, I got a really good deal with this Niku guy because he puts, you know, 150% into it and just doesn't, you know, doesn't make any noise about anything and is just generally cheerful about everything. And now, now Jaeger knows, <laughs> Niku knows that he's, that Jaeger's got a good deal with him too. So, and, uh, which is kind of a selfish thing for Niku to do. I think under Niku's um, set of values, like I don't think of it as a useful thing to do or a, a selfish thing to do. I think of it as, you know, he's aware of his standing worth. up for your worth. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. he's aware exactly. of his worth. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, which... but I think in his his you know ethic, you know, it, he you don't really do that unless you're in an extreme you know, position like that where somebody's going to take your favorite cat because I know that's what I would do. Yeah. Sure thing. I can't say anything. I threw my cat out the door. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's think... not the same as someone coming to take your cat. Oh, you if know. someone tried to take one of my cats, I'd stab them. Yeah, they're, they're dead. They're dead people. I think that there's like a valuable conversation about the the space that Niku takes up, um, like within his role on the Colossus and translating that into real lives, like, there are some people in this world that are essentially educated to not take up space in the way that they're socialized, in the way that, um, you know, you're taught in school, the way that way that you're told things, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of educated to not take up space. And I think Niku um, is, is kind of like that in saying that, you know, like I never ask you for anything. I'm here. I do my work. I, I, I'm here a hundred, 150%, 100% of the time. And, um, I think in that moment he he demands the space that he deserves, and I think that's a really valuable uh, lesson for everybody because there are times when yes maybe we don't want to take up space 100% of the time maybe um, we're in a situation where it's not always the best choice to 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 take up all the room that we deserve to take up or whatever for whatever reason but he decides in that moment that it's worth demanding that and. I don't know. I value it. I appreciate it. I think it's good. I think it pushes Yeager a little bit too towards the point where he realizes like, I can't just work these people tireless, tirelessly and like not expect I have to give anything back. Right. Cause I think by the end of season one, he's Yeager has a lot more respect for everybody and like their goals and their motivations and also just like not being ashamed of Kaz anymore, especially. So I think he, this is like, even a learning moment for him to say like, you know, even though Niku is a, li- a little bit idealistic and over the top, 
he's like at the back of his mind there's that little bit of an itch that's like oh maybe he's on the something maybe that guy that niku guy is on the something that i need to teach myself and to like be a little bit not like carefree but like respectful and also just like ask myself what am i going to be willing to give up just like niku is willing to give up everything for for bebo so yeager has a lot to learn he's imperfect especially hey listeners see why i listen to their show (laughs) (laughs) instead of our show hey i'm in the show i don't I don't don't listen to it. You only listen to it because you edit it. What the fuck was that? (laughs) I I always listen to our show, Hope. I know. Every single show. What the hell? What the hell, man? Honeywell, get out of here. (laughs) What the hell, man? Call me out like that. I edit our other show. How dare you? (laughs) Edit me out of that other show. Maybe I will. It's going to be Hope playing Yoda and then Yoda talking to Hope and then Hope talking to Hope Yoda. We actually talked about doing a drama podcast about basically how Hope's whole podcasting career is all in her head. And, you know, in the last episode, you see like her parents look in the room and and she's like doing Yoda and she's talking to Chris and they they look over and the laptop's unplugged and it's off, you know. I forgot about that. We we talked about making like a horror drama where... Um, my co-podcaster is someone like I killed or something. Like we, we, we would. We yeah, did there was a whole there was some sort it. of serial killer thing going on in Shutter there. Shutter Island. Gotta... Uh. Yeah, yeah, basically, <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did anybody else have anything else for Act One before we move on? I just have one brief visual note that I thought was really cool that I noticed is when they went on the the salvage scow and and uh, Kaz jumped onto it. It's ships do like you know you'll see you'll see any kind of hovering craft in star wars sort of do it but this one did it even more so it wobbled like a boat he got in it like somebody getting into a boat and i thought that was just a nice little design you know visual design touch Mm -hmm. to add to it on the water planet that like even the ships they have are kind of more boat like i thought that was neat yeah. I don't think I noted it anywhere in this episode, but this is hands down one of the prettiest episodes of Resistance. There's a lot of pretty. Oh stuff. yeah, yes, for sure. Yes, yes, it yeah. Really, Especially uh, towards the end, absolutely. Yeah. Like all the all the all of um the aces flying and everything, it's great. And the water. Oh, anything Chris. dealing with large spaces in this one was especially you know panoramic and beautiful and like anything with scale going on was looking really cool. And just yeah. see, that's the thing is the visual style of this won me over immediately. Immediately, mm. I was just like, oh, yeah, this works wonderfully. So, I've been like, even if I didn't enjoy the stories, I would enjoy this purely on a visual um, aspect. I think this episode is kind of where they up their game and and really kind of show you the dynamic nature of this animation style and and everything that's going on here because when you see little Bebo and how colorful he is and just how he's really different from the 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 landscape of the Colossus and then you know of course we're going to talk about Bebo's mom a bit more you know later in this this episode but the way yeah when you talk about scale Chris and and the way that they're playing with color and light and in space in this episode is incredible and if you didn't like fall in love with Castellan before this, I don't know how you don't fall in love with Castellan and the nature during this episode. Oh, the Colossus is one of the best locations in all of Star Wars. Oh yeah. 
Like, it's, like, easily. Like, it's just, it has so much, just, the ship alone is a character of itself. Um, yeah. Did somebody, did somebody call Caitlin Plesher? We gotta get her in. This, <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get her in Plesher's right now. Enter the chat. <laughs> <laughs> she suddenly kicks him in the back of your door. She's like, what are you guys talking about, the glasses? <laughs> Listen, I do not, okay, I'm gonna go on, a, like, a mini rant here, but. Well, I love rants. Lucasfilm hasn't done much in the way of, like, any star wars resistance merchandise and it's like a really big shame because there's a lot of really cool merch that would be possible okay funko pops i'm a huge funko pop idiot i i'm buying too many of those damn things but i need my niku one but they need to make a colossus pillow plush like a full body length colossus like body pillow that you can just hug when you go to sleep it's a lonely year covid we're all by ourselves most of us are single Get that, get that. A Colossus. Colossus Lego would be amazing. That too. We okay, got to build Colossus Legos in our free time. I need the Colossus Fathead for my wall. Like I would, I oh. would add a, you know, some of those like Colossus. Um, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead here, but when it emerges from the water and it becomes a this beautiful ship, I would put that on my wall. I just repainted my room, listeners. Um, and I would create a whole landscape around it. Clouds water i would paint a whole wall being like a, a focal wall uh, but that like i need i need the colossus i want a bebo plushie um, um i would and the cross do... sections too you know those cross section books yes. like yes. give me like give me like a 10 foot spread that like you open up across <gasps> your entire room the colossus you... would be one of the best cross sections ever because it has yeah. so many different elements and i love oh. those diorama sort of things anyway or even one of the books where that yeah yeah. Um, oh, a $200 Toshin book, but it's it's just Colossus glamour <laughs> shots. <laughs> I I want my my secret love of Star Wars that I would love to just have a book of is um concept art. And I love every episode looking at the concept art and I was looking at the concept art for Bebo's mother and it's this mm. gorgeous underwater like painting of like her entire body well, and I'm like I want this frame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We got like an art of rebels book uh, we got an art of the clone wars book it's just mm-hmm. you know i just wish yeah. there was more um, star wars resistance stuff like give us an art of star wars resistance people worked hard on that stuff and there's a lot of great artists involved with the show and again like such soundtrack a shading music. yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chris on. edits every episode and every episode he goes i there's no resistance music and yeah. it's the it's theme. so good such a yeah. shame. Anyway. Yeah, and it's and it's it's unique too. It has its own unique sound. You'd think they mm-hmm. would at least like pop up a uh, albums. Uh, an I uh, how much space on iTunes can it take up? Disney, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, little mini rant over, but more Star Wars Resistance merch. I mean, please. There is some my... in the shop Disney store though. Well, like the above, process think, of like but... sleeper hits these days has been sped up. You don't have to wait 20 years anymore for people to go like, oh, wow, do you know, you know, and I, and I was I've been saying on the show, I'm waiting for, you know, opening up my Facebook feed and somebody on one of the hot take comic websites posts something up that says 10 reasons why this neglected Star Wars cartoon is actually some of the best Star Wars you <laughs> never saw. And then all of a sudden people <laughs> are interested right. that. It's it, there's always a cycle of that, and and when you see that stuff and you're like, this is really good, you know, eventually, somebody's gonna figure it out somewhere down the line. And now that like, 
Disney throws everything up on Disney Plus, the odds of people discovering it are so much higher. My my thing that I just want to see is I just want to see Resistance work back into the rest of the canon. Like, there's no reason that, like, Doza and Griff can't be in any of the comics during the Rebellion. There's no reason we can't see Vanessa and Yeager fighting with Hera and Leia. Like, we know that they were Thank there. You. Like, Thank I you. just, I want to see that. I want to see, um, gosh, what was it? Like, um, a young Hamato. Like, why can't we see young Hamato? Um as as like as a working senator like i just want to see them get worked back in the canon and there's no reason why they couldn't you know i it's it's such a shame too because yeah literally every single one of these characters has such a rich story Mm -hmm. we i i i've said it before and i I will continue to say it but i would watch a spinoff show for every single one of these characters i would watch i would watch a Captain Doza spinoff show. Like, I, these, each of them, each of them has such a rich backstory that ties in to everything we have seen before because they come in this, this current timeline that we're all kind of living and experiencing content in. Um, and, and people like, like Doza, we learn, you know, we see his uniform in the, in we the closet. That was, last, that was like last yeah. episode, so you're good. I know, I know, but like, there's so, but what I'm just saying is there's so much there mm-hmm. anyway i am 100 percent with you hope i i want to see it like in like i don't know the greg pat comics or something with vader like vader happens to be working with the ship that doza and griff are are captain a fighter for and vader does something so horrific which pushes them to leave like you know i want to i want to see them in the stories or see like especially the just Venisa and yeager we know they fought in the rebellion we know that mm-hmm. they did that and i just i need it Anyway, Act 2, everybody. Anybody else have anything else for Act 1? Oh, I'm good. I'm ready. Got all the rants out. I'm ready to go. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. All right, let me take a little... I knocked it over. Hold on. (laughs) All right. Let's take a sip of my water. And not the fizzy water, because then I'll burp horribly, and I'm not going to be too gross with guests here. It's vodka, folks. It's not vodka. (laughs) Hope is a lightweight. Hope would not make it to the end of the show if it was this giant (laughs) ass thing of vodka. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. See our episode of Trust where I drank while we did commentary for Trust, and I don't remember the last hour of that podcast. You were fogging out a little bit at the end, yeah. I don't remember the last hour of the (laughs) podcast. Probably. I probably got screechy. Perhaps for the better. (laughs) Yeah. I I probably got screechy when Hope drinks. She gets a little like. So. <laughs> anyway, act two. So Tam hurries outside the main entryway of the Colossus and sees a distraught Niku. Poor Niku can't find his pet anywhere and starts to cry, which stops the entire world because if Niku is sad, everyone is sad. But Niku points out that everyone wanted Bebo gone except for him. So Tam doubles down and says that she will help him find Bebo to make up for earlier. And even Yeager calls in going, Hey, it's probably nothing. Certainly not a tiny adorable monster. (laughs) But I heard that there was a tiny little smelly problem down in engineering that I think you and Niku should, I don't know, maybe want to look into. And Niku perks up and he heads down out with Tam to check it out. And they get down to engineering, and Tam gets to meet not only the turtle folk, but also the kids from Tahar, because Kel and Ayla have Bebo. 
Niku is just elated to see his smallest friend. But Tam is far more concerned about the orphan children hanging out with a bunch of turtle people. <laughs> and when Ayla says that Niku's happiness won't last long, because you know she's force sensitive, Tam says one of her most important lines of the entire series, which is, look, I have a huge problem with vagueness. <laughs> so Ayla, exp- that's a whole ass note I have. <laughs> that's like, that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> So Ayla explains that, you know, she's basically force sensitive, and even if she doesn't know it, she could still sense that Bebo's mom, aka a big ass ocean kraken, um, that Kaz and Sonara are currently running away from, is on their way for her kid. And perhaps she's sensing, I don't know, the soon to come First Order 2 as the Great Darkness or whatever. And it's right about that time that Bebo's mom shows up. And during all this, Kaz and Sonara are frantically hovering their cart to get back to the platform. And they zoom up to land on the marketplace. And Kaz is like, everyone panic! And no one panics. And he's like, this usually works for me! And Kaz tries to get everyone to hurry inside, but no one's budging. Even Captain Best Dad Doza security droids are like, citizen, calm your tits or we'll shoot. And then Kaz, (laughs) (laughs) and Kaz just gets to the pirate alarm. And Sonara's like, oh, that's a pirate alarm? That's what that is? Okay, thanks for showing that. that that's right. That This box right here, this is the pirate alarm? And Kaz is like, yeah, that's the pirate alarm! She's like, cool. Good to know. Thank you. But just then, Bebo's mom shows up, and she's waving her huge tentacles, and she just got her hair done, and she is all frustrated, and she is like, where is my child? I want to speak to the I hear that so often, unfortunately. Anyways. <laughs> and everyone panics. I worked retail for 15 years. What's fun, Brad, is when you get to look at them back and you go, I am the manager. <laughs> oh, you mean me. That, that's me. Mm-hmm. You want to see how fast I can call security? You'll see. <laughs> so, what does everyone think of Act 2? Brad, Tara, who wants to go first? You're our guest. The well, games it out. Uh, I will say I, I love seeing the shell folk show up in this episode because um, I think it was interesting that like, you know, they're kind of when we talk about like the um, the class division of the Colossus, it's kind of interesting how like the shell folk and the, and the kids are the ones to find and embrace Bebo pretty easily and be like, hey, look, we found him. Whereas I think like anybody else on that ship, they would have found him. They probably would have either thrown him overboard or gotten rid of him somehow so it just it's it's very interesting that like you know they're the ones that kind of live in the shadows but like almost they're the ones with the biggest heart and it's kind of a shame that they have to hide down there and like not really be a part of the larger colossus family it seems like um but you know it was really just heartwarming for like nico to go down there and find bebo and just like all of them kind of come together in that moment i just thought it was great i just love when the shell folk show up i love them they're the cutest we need something, shell folk, black series, anyways. Something that Chris and I have talked about um, on our other show, which is Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. You can check that out over there. Um, we were talking about Gravity Falls, and Chris has brought up a really good point, is usually the poorest people are the ones with the biggest heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are, like, feeding the entire neighborhood when they can barely feed themselves. Yeah. 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 I mean, we see that in our own world. Like, a lot of very just rich elite people don't want to spread that. To others. Oh, oh and, I will 
Jeff Bezos is one of the know. two people I will take a baseball bat to and go to jail for. <laughs> the other you know? one's Mitch McConnell. So, oh, um, you know, I, yeah. I agree. I'll go to jail for that. <laughs> but, you know. It's it's just uh it's interesting to see that really at play. I think it's like really evident in this episode where it's like, hey, we found this like cute smelly creature. Oh, you didn't get rid of him? No. Seemed like you needed a home. Oh, well, that's very nice and polite of you. You know, like I think if you would have been around in Doza Tower, Tower would have been thrown down a, a trash chute or you know I through an airlock. That thing off the tower. I would have been just like, <laughs> yeah. Bye. Like, well, with this. You notice when they went down there, the kids were holding Beaver. Yeah. They were you know, they're, they're, they, they, they're picking him right up. They didn't care. Yeah, exa- exactly. So I just thought that was really a moving moment and spoke really profoundly to, like, you know, again, the class division of the Colossus. And if we're talking about class division of the Colossus, let's talk about the shape of the Colossus. It is vertical. Uh, and the engineering is, like, at the bottom. And the the... Ace's Lounge is at the top, you know, like there's very clear implications here. And I think it's really wonderful in this show when I agree with you, Brad, we get this moment where we get to see the shelf oak, we get to see Kel and Isla being really, um, and we get to, we get to see, you know, we get to see them being really understanding of, of, uh, Bebo and, um, kind of quite literally embracing him, but we also get to see, Niku's genuine care for other people and genuine care for perhaps um, people that Tam didn't necessarily give the time of day to, not necessarily in a bad way, but she doesn't really think of them perhaps often and uh, doesn't have a relationship with the shell folk. And him kind of introducing the shell folk and Kellen Isla to her in a new way kind of was allowed, allowed her to open her eyes up a little bit. I think broadly about act two, I mean, you've, you've structured it into this three act structure. And we all know that in our middle part is our darker middle chapter. This is the section of of this episode that really raises the stakes for everybody. We get, um, Kel and Isla being very spooky. They're like, it's coming for that it will destroy the entire station. And, you know, we see just a little bit of, of um, uh, Bebo's mom, not her, her full self yet. Go ahead, Hope. I, I just want to note on the spookiness, and I think why why it's so spooky is for the lo- first eleven episodes, there's nothing even hinting with the Force. This is a no Jedi show. Yeah. There's no yeah. sin, uh-huh. and then out of nowhere, you have Ayla going, "I have nightmares about that thing." Well, <laughs> and I, that's I, why it's I, so I, spooky. I remembered this from the first time watching this, and I thought to myself. Well, I think to myself now after watching, you know, all but the last two episodes, but I think they were sort of like I I felt like, oh, they're introducing the force to these kids. And and I was thinking if they're going to introduce the force in the show, it's going to be through the kids or through the turtles. Those seem to be the most like force themed characters. But I think they just sort of had it there for an option if they wanted to go in that direction because they never they seem to have decided not to go in that direction. And it gives that gives more credence to our conspiracy theory that this was really not supposed to be just two seasons, you know, that there was plans to go further with it because. Yeah, what what I like about it is that it kind of picks up something that rebels did so well with and and clone wars too like with the night sisters and the lasats that not everybody 
in Star Wars that's force sensitive have to be Jedi or Sith. And especially knowing that the kids from Tahar are from the unknown regions. And as someone who reads the Thrawn books, like the force works very differently in the, like in the unknown regions. The force Mm -hmm. awakens ended with a shot of a little kid that was just sort of like, no, that's last Jedi, honey. That's last Jedi. Oh, last Jedi. You're right. You're right. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But I I actually like that. So it's, I don't think it's a thing where they just kind of dropped their story. I think it's just a thing of like, yeah, they're force sensitive and they live their lives. Yeah. yeah, I I Mm -hmm. think, I think it was it. Like, I think like it could have been. But I do agree. I think they could have. I feel like the show got canceled. Yeah. It got shortened up. uh, Cancel culture has gone too far. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, people Taking talk too about much. people can't talk about cancel culture, and we get <laughs> all political about it, and everybody divides up in it. But they don't realize it's the Nielsen's, it's the Nielsen <laughs> those Nielsen ratings. Those are the ones who've been tearing us apart all these years. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the Nielsen's, all none of our favorite shows would have ever gotten canceled. Yeah. Hey, well, so you know, never say never. I mean, the Nielsen's. <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, got canceled or by Fox and it got picked up literally a day later after enough fans, you know, hashtagged about it and yeah. Clone Wars well, saved. Thing, Clone that's, saved you know? that's, fans, is, that's a good thing these days is if a show gets canceled and enough people like it, they'll just go someplace else and do their show, you know, oh. or, oh, Chris, you know. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the Snyder Cut. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. Well, I, I did it. Hope I did watch it. Yeah. So, um, I did it. I want to talk about Tam, um, for in this middle section, um, because I I have really two thoughts about Tam. Like, for one, I like her role in this episode. Um, and then I kind of started thinking broadly, and I'll get more into this in Act Three. Um, but I like her role because she might not like or understand Bebo, but she recognizes it's important to Niku, so therefore it's important to her. And I got to kind of thinking, I might have wanted to mention it, I might as well go to my X3 notes since I'm here. Um, We don't get a lot of Niku-focused episodes. And something that's really interesting about Niku is he doesn't really have a character arc. He's kind of like Hera. He's he's kind of just like solid the whole way through. But he doesn't, not everybody needs to have a character arc. But what's so interesting about this episode, which is why it's such a good Niku episode, is everybody around him rallies everyone wants to protect him even if they don't even like Bebo so like Kaz steps up Yeager does um Tam does everybody rallies to protect Niku and Bebo and that says more about Niku's character than anything else in this show mm-hmm. I would say care I would say Niku has a little bit of a character arc actually I'd, I'd maybe counter argue a little bit and say um I think for him and this is this episode is a great example of like a lot of people telling him who she who he should be or how he should act. And I think throughout the series he has many moments of that where it's like I want to be a pirate or like I want to be you know this I want to build this B one and like whatever you know. But I think over time he really learns to just like realize. I guess it's less growth and like more of a realization when it comes to his character arc. So yeah, like even though he does stay a little bit stagnant in terms of like his actions. Um, there are some moments of heroics. I think overall, like the mentality that he has on the show changes really tremendously. And I think that's the result of, you know, a lot of what happens and, you know, Tam and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, um, that's a really good point. I never thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for him, it's more of a mental journey than a, a behavioral one. I don't know if you would agree with that, Sarah, but 
throwing I would, on the spot I, here. I would agree with that. That's a yeah. really good point. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say about Tam is we got to talk about that. I have a problem with vagueness line because that is the thesis yeah. statement of her character and why Let. she goes to the first order. <laughs> yeah. Like that. That is why she ends up having an issue with Yeager, her father figure lying to her. That's she is like something's going on with Kaz and they're not telling me. And she flat out states it like. I have an issue with this and that's why it hurts so much. And I think it's because like Tam is so open and so real and she's a lot like Sonara. Like she just gets right to the point. She, she's just a very forward person. And the fact that everyone's hiding for her, like that is such an important line. That's part of her character journey to the first order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, it's, it goes back to secrecy and star Wars. And I think for Tam, she's already in such a vulnerable, vulnerable position that, you know, you really see that, that grooming start to happen when the, the first order shows up and uh, it's really tragic. It's, I understand like where she's coming from, you know, like when you feel like your whole, your whole world is one way and then all of a sudden it starts to crumble around you and like everything you feel that you've ever known is like a lie. And I think, yeah, just, you know, I don't like vagueness. That is just so quintessential to her character and the journey that I think she probably, you know, talking about character arcs, we said, we mentioned Niku, like she definitely has the most like oh, thorough she's the arc best. of the show. Like I honestly would argue that yeah. this is actually a Tam show, if anything, <laughs> even, mm -hmm. you know, maybe just a little bit more than Kaz at some points, but I mean, we don't see her a lot for season two, unfortunately, but I think if we did, it would really be like equal footing for those two characters. But Tam goes through a lot. I, I would say either uh, Tam or Sonara, actually. Yeah. Sonara goes mm. through such a journey herself as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what What are your thoughts on that line, Sarah? Because I, I know that you have it noted, too. Um, I wrote, LOL, girl, this isn't me. <laughs> 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 so clearly I have, like, a lot of, like, really um, academic and critical thoughts about this uh, line. But, I mean, you are right in saying that it's ultimately the thesis of her character and saying that the vagueness is is ultimately why she makes the choices that she does and goes on the path that she does in this show because other people are not being straight with her and i feel that i feel that as a, as a person in the world sometimes i do not understand the complexities of people's vagueness i cannot read in between the lines sometimes this is difficult for me people make fun of me for this sometimes i feel like niku um maybe that's why i love niku so much uh and and she's clearly stating exactly, uh, you know, the, the issue that she has and, and is, you know, asking for a little bit more explanation here. And um, I think in that moment, she is advocating for herself and they listen to her in that moment a bit, but nobody is really listening to her out, outside of that. The people who need to hear that most. Until uh, tyranny comes. Yeah. The people who need to hear it most, Kaz. Um, uh, uh, aren't, aren't there to hear that line um, from her and, and to hear her um, express a part of herself. So it's, I think it's a really valuable line that I did not catch until this watch, you know, having, having seen the whole show and the end, which we're not going to discuss here because Chris is here and he hasn't seen the end. Chris. Spoil spoilers, no spoilers. I won't spoil anything. Um, but um, having, understanding of her entire arc watching this episode that line stuck out to me way more than it ever did before and it's smart it's smart that it's there from a writing standpoint and i appreciate it in the moment and with regards to who she is 
from a writing standpoint, that's a really good point because this was actually the episode that came back from the mid-season. Um, this was the first episode of the second half of season one, and all we know from here is everything just goes down. You know, we we both have this like fun crew, like Sonara's here, we're all here, we're all at this high point, and then from here on out, the first order starts coming in, and it's a downward slide until the finale. And so you're right, like that is kind of like the Tam high point. And we're just going to see Tam start sliding. Like in a few episodes, she's going to be arguing them at the dinner table of like, well, my grandfather was an Imperial. Does that make him bad? Like we're going to start getting into those discussions. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Chris, you've been rather quiet over there. What were some of your thoughts of Act 2? Well, I, 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 my only big note was the the kids being introduced as uh, as force elements. And, oh, uh, no one cares about Chris. <laughs> I thought it was, and then I just had a minor note. It's like, I thought it was really weird that the scow that they were on doesn't at least have a radio to radio into the, you know, back to base and be like, there's a giant monster coming instead of having to race it back. You'd think you'd want one of those in case you ran out of space gas or something, you know, out on the high sea. But it made for a more exciting, you know, set piece. So just a minor quibble. But that's all for me. I would I would like to add uh, one other thing. Uh, uh, Niku does refer to Bebo as his, quote, smallest friend, which I just think it's funny that, like, you know, Niku has a lot of friends, obviously, and that's something that he mentions a lot. You know, like, Kaz, you're my number one friend, you're my best friend. Um, But the fact that Bebo stands apart as the smallest friend of any of his friends. So I just thought that was a really great detail, great moment. Niku has a lot of friends. He's got the most friends there is. Uh, he's got like, if he had a Twitter account now, he would have like 47 million followers. Like he'd have a lot of friends <laughs> that he'd be mutes with. So uh, you'd have to great. tell and, him you know, his how tall you overflows. were. <laughs> yeah, to be am... his friend, you had to tell him how tall you were so he could put you in his friend ranking. Yeah. I'm just giggling. Like, how does he label everybody else? Is like Yeager boss friend? You're my boss friend. <laughs> my bossiest of friends. And Yeager's like, thanks. I don't you are my to... fifth tallest friend. <laughs> Nancy's like, you're food friend. Food for food friend. And Nancy's like, don't call me food friend again. <laughs> I like food friend. That's that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had people who are food friends before. Valid. Most of the time I saw them, I would be like, oh, let's catch lunch or something like that. So yeah. they're food friends. We all got those. Yeah. Well. Did anybody have anything else for Act 2? Not me. think I'm good. I, I I will say, I will add that the panic moment right at the end when, like, the droids are, like, you know, calm down. <laughs> and he's like, everyone needs to panic now. <laughs> um, and they're like, are you trying to cause a disruption? He's like, yes. Yes. yes exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's hilarious because in that moment, he's kind of in the right. Of, of course, um, Bebo's mom is not actually really all that um, threatening in the sense that, like, I don't think she's going to take down the ship. Um, but maybe I just... I, I have a little bit of goodwill for her. Um, no, it's, if she wanted to take a... Like, if she was there to rip the ship apart she would have done a lot more damage than than got done she didn't really do any damage she just sort of like flopped on it a little bit you know 
She gave her a hug with the body pillow. It was her body pillow. Yeah. Yeah. No, if, if she was if she was like looking for Bebo as food, she would have just tipped it over like, uh, you know, and shaken everybody out, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, he's right about like having everybody panic, though, because they do have to take a little bit of caution to this new person in their space and uh, or this new being in their space. And uh, I, I think that moment of. You know, we tell everybody to calm down. You're like, don't be so freak out about this. It's probably not going to be as bad as it is. And you're like, sometimes you're like, okay, actually, we do need to take a little bit of action in this moment or else we don't know what the outcome will be. So I, I thought that was kind of great in, in that moment. I don't know. Sometimes people just need to freak out and be angry. Like some people are just people who just need to vent and get it off their chest. And some people just need to be scared and get it out of there. And sometimes, in this case, they had to Sometimes you have to run for your life. Monster. Yeah, no, but basically it was sometimes run for your life is the proper, proper, um, you know, there's a scene in, in the movie, The Host, the Korean giant monster movie where the monster comes out of a canal into a park. And you can see that, you know, the people who see the monster start running into the park and just going like, ah, you know, get out of the way. And people are just looking at him like, yeah, whatever, man. And then you see <laughs> it just pass through the crowd as people see it. So it's yeah, sometimes it run for your life is the proper. What I wonder is if those robots are like that because at the end, they're like, yeah, we're placing you under arrest. They're robots. It's not like you can distract them and they'll forget. Or they're gonna show up and be like, "You're still under arrest. You wanted." To- <laughs> <laughs> it's in their and then, programming. And then yeah. Tora has to go Chico. bust cats out of jail. <laughs> well, Brad, Sarah, are you ready for Act Three? Oh yes. Yeah. I'm ready for the act of the three. Let's wrap. Let's wrap this stinky little Bebo up. I'm gonna wrap the Bebo up. Put him in a nice little blanket. Swaddle him. Give him shampoo. <gasps> you think he takes shampoo? How do you wash a Bebo? I thought you you broke up for half a second, so I thought he said, like, wrap him up, let him have a small poo. <laughs> <laughs> no, a swaddle. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> act three. So everyone's panicking, right? Because Bebo's mom's like, where's my child? Oh, I meant to write in do whale noises. <laughs> I will rip this face to pieces. Where's my Bebo Kins? You sound like Cedric Diggory's dad. Where's my boy? <laughs> That's my, oh my Bebo! I just had a sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that moment still hurts where she, he's like, That's my son. Oh, 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 uh, oh. The best acted scenes ever. All right. <sighs> Sorry. Continue. I interrupted. <laughs> so, this is not that kind of movie. <laughs> one out, Cedric. And Kaz hits the pirate alarm and warns everyone as Captain Best Dad Doza calls the aces to launch. And all the aces are rightfully worried because there's a big-ass kraken attacking their home. And Bebo's mom jams the market doors. And Sonara's like, Kaz, get to your ship. I will fix the door. And Kaz tells Eager to prep the fireball. And with a few wire changes, Sonara gets the door closed and Kaz gets the fireball. And during all of this... Niku and Tam are sprinting back to the upper levels and see Mama Bebo outside. Tam wrongfully assumes that it's hunting Bebo and it wants to eat it, and she warns Kaz about that. So then, all of Team Fireball rallies around Niku, and Yeager is like, 
fuck that monster. We're protecting Niku's friend. And then Hope cried a lot. And Kaz is like, we will save Bebo and stop that thing. And Hope cried more. And Kaz launches the fireball and heads out to the fight. And they do a lot of pew-pewing. And Doza's like, use the missiles. So they do big pew-pewing. And that's great. But none of that's important. What's important is what's happening inside. Tam pleads with Niku that Bebo's putting the entire platform in danger. And of all people to show up, that bitch Rucklin comes out of nowhere and ruins everyone's fucking day. And you know what that bitch Rucklin says? Well, that bitch tell that's his nickname is that bitch. Not, by the way. He's oh, okay. Okay, because I'll be honest with you, you said um, that bitch in the very beginning, and I was like, hmm, what ca- what character? What character is this referring to? That bitch. Well, you know what? But that's valid, that, and I support it. I, I valid. Yeah. yeah. 100%. That bitch Rucklin, and you know what yeah. that bitch tells Niku? He's all like, get rid of your friend, and Niku's like, fuck off, bitch. You're going to be a space <laughs> Nazi soon. Oh, oh. If I, I know, I know you're going through the thing here. It's, it's, it's all planned. But if you go to the very bottom of this document. You see, um, I, I added the graphic. I saw that. I was gonna tell you. I was, I was gonna tell you about that later. It was so funny. So Sarah, we we are gonna pause it for a second. Sarah has added this like little adorable thing where it has everyone ranked, and it has like who regularly says fuck, which rightfully is Tam and Sonara and Bucket. I also had to say that BB8 probably regularly says fuck a lot too. Oh, I believe it. Um. <laughs> I would almost throw Poe in them, but I like the Poe would be on the Ringo that has sworn off fuck but says it at some point. I feel like Poe says fuck and Leia just slaps him across the face. She's like, shut <laughs> up, son. <laughs> um, Leia would be like, that's my word. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> um, so there's this really great document, and then she has a Poe photo, and it says that Niku legally cannot say fuck, and that is very true. And he's the only Except- one at that, on that tier. <laughs> Except for at this point where he looks at that bitch and he's like, bitch, this is my boy. And Reckland's like, throw it away. And he's like, well, you're going to be a fucking space Nazi soon. So you know what? Fuck off that bitch, Reckland. You can't talk. You cannot talk. Yeah, yeah. And I just have to say credit to the person on Tumblr who made this. Uh, I did not make it. I just found it on Tumblr. Uh, The Niku Vozo tag was uh, full of of delight. Was a Star Um, Wars Resistance Tumblr? No, there was just the Niku Vozo tag. Oh, uh, yeah. I gotta get on that. Anyway, um, I don't know. It's 2021, but I guess we can. I could explain tags on Tumblr to you. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll pass on that lesson Nico, for today. Niku, I think, would react like one of my religious friends if he wanted to say it. He would have to, like, shake and shake and clench his fist and say, you, you shut up and have a bad day, you fink. And that would be about as bad as you were going to get. He would be one of those people. He'd be like, oh, frick. Sorry, everybody, for that harsh swear word. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Anyway, sorry about that derailment. No, you're fine. You're fine. We do it all the time. Like, we'll have, like, full tangents in the middle of these. And, like, the... Like the music just keeps playing underneath. I'm a simple man. I like pictures, so I appreciate it. (laughs) So Niku looks at that bitch and he's like, "Frick off! Sorry for swearing, Tam." And Tam's like, "It's okay, Niku. Fuck off, (laughs) Rucklin." So yeah. Anyway, I lost my spot. (laughs) I hope he's to refind her spot again. Rucklin. Oh. Oh, I forgot we also named him Fucklin. I forgot about that. Um, that bitch has so many uses, <laughs> so many bad names. I love it. We should have been talking. We should have been talking to each other about this uh, when we were doing season two, um, because we were like, oh, Rocklin showed up again every time he would show up. Every time he does something, I just go, bitch, 
That bitch! <laughs> did, that yeah. bitch showed up again. Okay. I get it. I get it. Although, to be clear, we love Elijah Wood, so... Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Nothing, Elijah nothing but appreciation. Amazing. Yeah. He's uh, to, to be honestly, my feelings about Rufflin are the same way I feel about Tarkin. Like, I love to hate him. Like, he's a he's yeah. a really good, well-crafted character, and he's a very interesting character. Um, I, I just, I find him a fascinating character, and I just love to hate him. The same way I just love yeah. to hate Farkin, because fucking suck it, Tarkin. Frodo. Yeah, suck it, Frodo. <laughs> Uh, fucking Farkin. Anyway, uh, so everyone tells Rucklin to fuck off. But Niku refuses to give <laughs> up his most precious friend. <laughs> and here's Big Mama. And she looks through her window and she sees Niku holding her Bebokins. And Niku realizes, you know, actually pays attention to his friend and says, you know, Bebo's not scared of her. And it dawns on him what the problem is. And he tells Kaz to call off the aces. And Hype's like, you're crazy, dude, but whatever. Our pew pewing's not working out here, so do your thing. Go get eaten, whatever. I'm Hype face on, guys. I'm gonna go get a drink. Um, so then, in one of the most beautiful scenes ever in a Star Wars, Niku runs outside and comes to the ledge of the Colossus, and Mama Bebo beautifully raises up and blocks out the sun and all the water's dripping down and she's gorgeous and Niku's this tiny little person on the dock and it's beautiful and we all cried it's fine and she holds out her tentacle like how to train your dragon and and Niku steps on it and he very gingerly puts down Bebo and Bebo's all like are you gonna come with us and Niku's like I can't breathe underwater and Bebo's like but we're friends and he's like I love you little friend and now I'm going off my notes it's fine and Niku's like I love you so much and we're gonna see each other again, and then my friend June drew excellent fan art of Miku, Miku and Bebo meeting again, and I cried some, but it's okay. So he kisses uh, Bebo, and he's like, I love you, goodbye. And Bebo's like, bye, thanks for taking care of me. And they swim away, and Niku's sad, and Tam and Niku comes out, and they take care of Niku's sadness, but not quite, because a few days later, oh, hope he's to breathe hard. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, a few days later, after they say goodbye to Bebo, and he swims off with his mom, and the day is saved, Kaz comes in to Niku with a surprise to make him feel better. And he brings him this cute little gorg named Lubo. And Lubo is so excited because he's like, I'm here. This is my new life in Niku's garage. I'm going to go on so many adventures. I'm going to see the stars. And then Niku eats him. And his passage on Wikipedia, poor Lubo, is like three sentences. Rest in peace, The end. (laughs) Well, it just just reaffirms the dark truth we know about Niku from a few episodes ago. Remember? I once had a pet. I loved it. And then it died. And it was delicious. So, so like, the same thing could happen to Bebo. You know, that could be, you know, he could be, he's just that horrific figure that's like, oh, my pet, I love it. And if something happened to Bebo, he would have been like, oh, Bebo. It would have been like Homer with uh, Pinchy the lobster (laughs) crying and eating the lobster and going, "Mm." (laughs) mmm. So, what did you guys think of Act 3? We'll start with you, Sarah. All right. Um. I think Act 3 is uh, gorgeous, stunning, incredible, exciting, thrilling, um, just awesome. It, it's it's really where everything comes together and we, we get the action. Um, we get the aces firing on Bebo's mom, which is not great, not, not a great moment, not the right choice, as we very clearly come to see. But it's awesome that we see all the aces get their, their moment of like coming out into the sky um 
since I consider them to be like a kind of underutilized part of the show. Amen. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're awesome and I want to know more about all of them. Um we get to see the beauty of Bebo's mom, one of the most incredible, amazingly designed characters in all of the Star Wars, if you ask me. Uh we get to see a lot of compassion from um Miku uh for like Bebo's mom and the situation and the whole thing. Uh, and and then at the end, um, that comedy beat poor Lubo. He gets a fucking name, <laughs> and then he gets eaten. Um, I'm but giggling it's over here because you're hilarious. like she came up and she looks so beautiful, and my brain just went. I wonder if Bebo's mom and the Zillow Beast went on a date, and like the Zillow Beast would just be like, "You look so beautiful tonight." And she's like, "Oh, sex. <laughs> you should meet my son." And the Zillow Beast is like, "You have a son? Oh, I have to leave. <laughs> oh no." <laughs> Yeah, this is our second giant kaiju Star Wars since the Zilla Beast. Yeah. I would I sort of wished I w- if I was working on the show, I would have I would have rallied for when when she takes Bebo back that she has sort of like a kangaroo pouch or like and and she opens it cuz I'm thinking like how when you're that huge, how do you keep track of these little tiny babies that are just like they're like fleas in comparison to you? She would have like a sack he's, just he's full of babies so and like smell him anywhere. And she would just have a, a that's true too, but still it's like you're smelling this little tiny but I also but sea creatures also seem to have like big broods and I would have just liked to seen her open up a sack and toss Bebo in there with like, you know, fifty other and everybody go like, oh, geez, <laughs> those things are probably swimming all over the place. Yeah, that's a good question. Does he have brothers and sisters, you think? Like, Bebo's always just the one to, like, get out of the roost. He's, like, always the troublemaker. Like, oh, God, Bebo, Bebo escaped again. Ugh, uh, of course. Uh, uh, like, unless they're, like, mammals, like whales or something, they us- aquatic creatures usually have, like, 5,000 little little prawns that, you know, to survive the, the rigors of the sea, you know, a thousand turtles in each in each nest, you know. So I, I just figured like, she would, and then, since they were so small that she would just have, like, a bundle of them, you know. I just Aww. imagine, like, he, she, like, opens the pouch and, like, Tam sees, like, a hundred in there and she's like, there's more. And Nika's just like, and you know what? This is a tradition in Star Wars. I just realized from the from the very first Clone Wars movies of babies being stinky. Mm. Oh, oh, true. True. Yep. I can't yep. stop thinking about a bundle of Bebos. A I love the alliteration. Bundle of Bebos. Bundle of Bebos. Speaking of merch, Lucasfilm, okay. if you want to make a bundle of Bebos pouch pack where it's a fanny pack, you clip it around <laughs> your waist, one pocket is for storage, the other other pocket just has a little bunch of Bebos in them. You can just take them out, you can show them off, it'd be great. Great idea. Anyways. In- incredible thoughts, thank you. So Brad, what were some of your thoughts of uh, Act 3? You know, I thought that the, uh, it gave me some King Kong vibes, you know, it was kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, the misunderstood beast. Um kind of the idea of uh humans versus nature and you know do we fight back what we're scared of yet something that we might misunderstand completely and i think this is like a great example of just like you know jumping to conclusions because something like looks different or acts differently 
and like how everybody was in such a rush to like shoot missiles at it. And I'm just like, why would you do that to Bebo's mom? She just wants her kid. And uh, I just thought it was like, you know, a really great lesson and don't judge a book by its cover because, you know, you misunderstood the intentions of, of Bebo's mom. And, uh, you know, really it just was a family that wanted to be reunited. And we don't see that often in star Wars. Often families are getting split apart, <laughs> but this is one of those rare instances where it happens and uh, the mother meets the son. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, the mother reuniting with the son is something that happened in one episode of an off animated series instead of the Skywalker saga. I'm really surprised by that to say that sentence out loud, I mean, um, but it happened. The best track, track record of mothers not dying. Yeah. Does, so there's that. Is, and I'm cheering about it because, because it's like one. <laughs> Oop. <laughs> Oop. It's like one, two, it's two. I thought you'd take a big bite of something and then you're just like, oh, the moms. It's a sour <laughs> apple laffy taffy. The moms. Oh, that's, the moms. That's, that's what I, one of the notes I got is you can tell this place is like, it's, it's not a family place. You know, there's not a lot of moms there, you know, because everybody's like, yeah, because a mom would have realized, would have recognized this situation right away. You know, a a a a mom would have been like, "Yes, yeah, it's after its kid. Look, it looks just like her. It's got the same face. You know, That's it's obvious." That's what bothered me when Tam, when Tam's point. like, "She's hunting people," and I'm like, "They look exactly alike." It's yeah, just but a tiny... yeah, yeah, but but everybody there, not you know, people that it's not a very family place. It's not a very nurturing. It's nurturing in its own found family way, but it's you know. It, like if there were if there were more moms there they'd be like oh you know maybe it's coming after its baby or something but everybody there is more you know like attack that's a really good point because i'm thinking like because taurus specifically says there's not a lot of kids on the colossus right and outside of like torah being the youngest of like i think the main cast and then the kids of tahar i can't think of any other children on this ship there's, and there doesn't seem to be yeah. like there doesn't seem to be a lot of couples or families r- running around. You know what I mean? It's just sort of it's it's so a it's way a station. It's a living it's, quick trip. Yeah, it's Is not Gaz's a place. To, it's not a place to be married and raise a family. You know, <laughs> it's not a place you would go to do that. I know that Kaz's mom survives because Hamado says Hamado says. Um, uh, that they survived, but I we never mm. meet Kaz's mom. I would love, you know, season three, a Mother's Day episode where just all of the moms of Team Fireball come together and they just get a brunch. That's it. That's the episode. They just get brunch with Aunt Z. Um, Aunt Z's mom shows up. Just all the Star Wars moms, and none of them die. So, you know, yes, bunch of drunk moms with their drunk kids. You know, it'd be a great time. I want to see drunk Niku. That'd be great. It'd be honestly really entertaining. You just cry about Bebo the whole time. (laughs) Bebo left me. Yeah, I miss Bebo. He could only get drunk by some misunderstanding. He'd have to mistakenly (laughs) eat something that he didn't know would, like, affect him in that manner or something. Oh, my, Kaz, you've handed me this fuzzy juice. What is this? (laughs) It's Splendor. (laughs) This this is called a mimosa. Mimosa. And then he just says mimosa for 20 more minutes. Just mimosa. (laughs) Mamosa, my ma, my mosa, mamosa. Like, you like my mosa, your mosa, her mosa. We're all mosas here. 
you know, I do want to add too, though, with you know, just this act three is I just love the um, the simplicity of the give back for for you know Bebo back to his mom, and I feel like it was just like so quick and so sudden. It was kind of just like the rea- It was just kind of like reality, you know, like it wasn't overdone. It wasn't like too long of a goodbye where it was like cheesy. It was just kind of like yeah, she took the kid back and now they're gone. And it was kind of um, it allowed me to really relate to Bebo you know we've all had to say goodbye once in our lives at some point I'm sure and it's really sudden it just kind of happens it's like ripping off a band-aid and next thing you know you're away from the person you're saying goodbye to so I just thought that was like you know a good authentic uh, they, they, portrayal they underplayed it but they put a lot into it because there was that there the big moment for me with that I think just sort of slipped by was where when he was when he was giving Bebo back, he actually stepped onto mom. He walked onto, mm-hmm. he like walked onto her with no hesitation and just like confidently put the, you know, like with that, that, that was when you're seeing like actual, like empathetic synergy and trust with the, with the two, you know, sentient beings. And, mm-hmm. and, but they didn't, you know, they didn't, you could have played it up more would have them be a little hesitant to do it and stuff to draw more attention to it. But they just, they just sort of let it play out. I mean, the mama beast in on her own was a, is a spectacular thing. So it was sort of nice to have it just be a quiet, small moment. (laughs) with this thing. Yeah. And Bebo does do a little run back to Niku, but he doesn't, clearly want to leave his mom he just almost wants to say goodbye like he knows it's the right thing to do it's almost like grogu and like dinjarin yeah. in a way because like they're luke's like hey he's asking for your permission he doesn't want to stay with you he just wants your permission to go so it's kind of the same thing it's like you know bebo's asking for niku's permission like hey is it okay if i leave like with my mom i love you but like i gotta go <laughs> you know this is my family and like niku kind of gives him that pres- that permission even though it's really hard and difficult for him and i think that like speaks to the strength of of his character is to like have this connection and then like be able to sever it so quickly. The only thing to me that was missing was a free Willy moment where Bebo's mom came like <laughs> jumping over the Colossus and Nico's oh, like, yeah. Oh my God. Imagine if she <laughs> flew over the Colossus like a dragon. Oh my God. Oh, that'd be so amazing. She could do everything. She's beauty. I'm, she has grace. I'm that actually be so cool that, would be, that would be horrifying. Can you imagine all the water just crashing down, smashing everything? Oh no! Flashes all of them. Oh my gosh. Hope. Think of the comedic moment that that would provide. (laughs) And everybody's immediately soaked, and everybody's looking at each other, and they're like, "That was that was kind of beautiful, actually." And I guess we're here. You know, I have a story to tell about this one. You know. Yeah, the the smell will wash off for a month. There you go. (laughs) All remember. (laughs) The Colossus water bill is just through the roof. They're taking so many showers. Oh boy. Everybody's well, they getting. Owe us. <laughs> do they do they have a water bill? Ba- wa- water bill though. They live on a water planet. I w- I would no, imagine they have uh, some sort of good filtration system happening. I don't know. <laughs> you know capitalism, it's everywhere. So you know. Space desalinization. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the capitalism of the Colossus is an entire story po- point of a lot of season one. So. <laughs> well, Chris, did you have any uh, notes that you wanted to add? Um. Yes, I, I only had one note, which. This is kind of, you know how we've talked about how like when I thought thought the show first was going, that it was going to be sort of centered around, especially since they were comparing it to anime a little bit, you know, that it was going to maybe center around the racers and have it be like, like, like I was saying before, like one of those old, like 
you know, all the teenagers around the motocross and all the stuff that happens around it. And that sort of happens in it, but they aren't the focus that it seemed like they were going to be in the promotion of it. And the sequence in this, and I know this will never happen, but this is my, this would be my fantasy as if this was a longer series. The whole sequence of all the pilots, you know, running to their ships and each ship gets a shot launching and stuff. I wish they would have done like old cheesy cheap anime cartoons or, or you know, like speed racer cartoons of the day and just recycled that sequence every two or three episodes. Every time the, the pilots have to launch, it's like launch the pilots and then boom, just cut that sequence in because it was that perfect it had that perfect feel you know you got to see each pilot they each had a different distinct outfit and it was very stylistic and i was just like this was sort of like almost like a little a little taste of what i thought the show was going to be like when uh when it started and uh yeah i wish they would i wish there was more of that in it you know and all the stuff with the with the with the aces flying around is always beautiful. Yeah, and I think when you look at the ways the show feels like Star Wars, I think the aces mm-hmm. is kind of the core of Star Wars. Because like think of George Lucas, right? That guy loved driving fast cars. I mean, you know, yeah. like THX had a car chase scene in it. American Graffiti is all about cars. The Millennium Falcon is all about you know Han Solo making this really quick Kessel run. And like all these space uh, trench run sequences. This is set in a garage, basically. You know, it's it's perfect, and it's like it has it has all those those elements to it, and the and the aces are like kind of like that perfect combination of pod racing and you know like X wing fighters all together. They've got both of those elements mixed into it, and and I like the whole idea of them flying through the rings that was very that where's the video game what a video game man. there is a there's a phone there's a phone app game um oh. uh, they had an app running at the time where you could fly uh for the resistance ships because i remember uh donna marie playing it and it, there's a resistance uh online oh is it online or is it on apps yeah, yeah but was it any good that's the thing like it was probably like i like a real like video like the pod racing game they had for i think well, like the n64 or whatever or the yep. um Yep, Pod Racer. Uh, yeah, it's on the Switch now too. Episode uh, one racer. It is, isn't it? I used yeah. to put a lot of time. On and that I mean, game. speaking of Pod Racers too, I mean the the ships. If you listen to them closely, like a lot of them have the Pod Racing startup engine sound from like ripped straight from Phantom Menace too. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. obviously the inspiration's like very similar. But I do like, you know, as much as I talk about like myth and symbolism and like those are some of the reasons I love Star Wars. I also just like people talk about the pew pew. I like the vroom vroom. We don't talk about the vroom vroom in Star Wars enough. Let's be let's yeah. be real, right? Like we don't talk about the fact that Star Wars. Unless you're like, Thomas Harper. <laughs> like literally, like the the piece of racing culture is like such a huge piece of Star Wars that like we don't acknowledge enough, and that's also why I think I love Solo so much is because of like that element is like very prevalent and like important to that movie. Um, yeah, we don't do vroom vroom enough. Enough of the pew pew vroom vroom. Why aren't why aren't all the Star Wars podcasts talking about Vroom Vroom? I know. 
everybody talks about pew pew and everybody talks about the lightsabers. That's what I'm getting yeah. out there. Um, <laughs> I am so happy that the, the, this show does not have a single lightsaber in it. Yeah. There, there's never, the even in Solo, where they were like, okay, we're not going to have a lightsaber in this. They had something sort of similar to a lightsaber enough. It had energy on it and you could fight with it sort of like a lightsaber. And then they also had a lightsaber. I actually think you're right in that, like, this is the, yeah, you're right. This is the the only show in current canon, right? Only canonical. I'm, I'm like of the, I don't understand the whole, like, Star Wars isn't Star Wars without someone with a lightsaber and the focus on, on lightsabers. I just think it's, I'm, I'm a vroom vroom guy, you know, and I think Star Wars is that perfect melding of like the character stuff that I like, but when the vroom vroom hits it, it's. It's over the top quality room. That's why that was my, I think, biggest, not my biggest problem. One of my big problems with the new Star Wars movies is I don't think J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson can film an action scene, like a, a set piece, a chase with two things the same way George Lucas could, you know. And it, And I think Filoni pulls it off quite a bit. And the, mm. the, the crew of the Mandalorians pulled it off quite a bit. But in the movies, it has mm. on TV, it's been that. I mean, there's been sequences in all the Star Wars TV shows that have pulled me into that full Star Wars. I mean, watching the last epi- four episodes of Clone Wars was like is equal to being in the movies for me with a new Star Wars movie. Yeah, I know you make a really great point. And I think that's as we're talking about it. Yeah, you're so right. I don't think the sequel trilogy, not to like harp on the sequel trilogy, but I think the closest I ever got to that was like the crate sequence that like brings me to tears every time, like when Chewie goes through those like red caves and everything. But yeah, other than that, we didn't really get too much of that kind of, you know, classic joyride thrill of like, you know, just like having a really intense, fun space. Yeah, sequence. I and like one of the things I, I do distinctly remember before I started getting into my drunken phase was Chris talking for like 40 minutes about the final battle of Exegol and how, <laughs> what a mess it is. <laughs> yeah. We well, don't really every, the, get the, much of a perspective on those, those, those uh, pilots, you know, you could have had cameos in there, like the ghost and have like a sequence with the ghost and have a sequence. There's resistance with, ships. Cast, no resistance. Like, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah, no, it, where it, was which, they, where yeah. was Chris and Rashawn? In that no, no, where was he? In a, where was in a George Lucas or like Steven Spielberg set piece, you know where everybody is, you know yeah. where they're trying to go, you know what they're trying to do, and you know it's trying to kill them, and it's yep. all this. In, it 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 almost morphs into this mixture of watching a movie and then being in an, on an immersive like Disney ride or something like that, and. I, you know, it's not as much harping on the the new films as much as I don't think in filmmaking, it, there's there's as many people who are as skilled as doing that. And I think it's maybe the new part, partially the new technology and stuff. But yeah, it's re- like the the last movie I saw that really like had that visual action style was like 2015 was the Fury Road. Like well, where yeah. just like you 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 you're involved enough with the characters that the action is means something to you, and it's very visceral at the same time. And yeah, it's it's I just I don't see it in the in the in the cartoons. Oh my God, there's so many 
points between Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance that I can pull up that are like mm-hmm. full-throated and the and the Mandalorian, full-throated Star Wars yeah. sequence. They have that feel to it. They make me eight years old again, you know, instantly. Mm-hmm. And, so, uh, so, to mentioning Resistance, uh, to bring this back, um, do anybody else have anything else about X3 to wrap up the show? Vroom, vroom all day. That's it for me. <laughs> Did you have anything else, Sarah? R.I.P. Lubo. Uh, Lubo! Oh my God, yeah, Lubo. Uh, we forgot yeah, about I know, Lubo. I know. I mean, we talked about Lubo a little bit, um, but just like R.I.P. Lubo. Um, shout out to Niku for being the best and um, uh, hope hope Bebo's mom and uh, Bebo are doing okay on Castellan. Just, I'm just thinking about him, you know? Well, Brad, we'll start with you. On a scale of 1 to 10, rate the episode, and why do you rate it that way? And you guys are guests, so you guys can, like, do whatever you want. So. <laughs> if you want to rate it 15, go ahead. Hmm. I got a piece of food stuck in my teeth. Hold on one second. <laughs> so, Sarah, on a scale of 1 to 10, why did you hit that way and why? On a scale of 1 to 10, I write this in A+. Um... <laughs> I'm writing it on our Bebo's book report scale here, um, or or um, you know five five Bebo's out of five. I don't know. Uh, I, I I will give this episode an A plus. It is one of my favorites. Obviously, you you invited us on to this specific episode for a reason. Um, for me, I, I love this episode above the rest because not only is it a Niku episode and he's my favorite, but I love this episode because uh, it gives us a little bit of everything. It's got the action with the aces, appearances by a more underutilized characters like the shell folk and Kel and Isla, who are all awesome. A story that includes the major players of team fireball. It also gives us, uh, as we were talking a little bit earlier, the, the sense of space and size of, of Bebo's mother and the Colossus on Castellan and that landscape um, and the isolation and the community all in one. It's an episode about being true to who you are, uh, caring for others, listening and respecting others when they're trying to tell you something about who they are. Um, it's, it's an episode about compassion and um, it's a, it's a good one. It, it gets an A plus for me and it never fails to bring me a, a deep sense of joy. And watching it the other night in, in preparation for this, I just was delighted throughout the whole thing. And the, the beauty of enjoying it for, you know, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth time, but also being able to see it, um, every time um, with fresh eyes and getting to enjoy that story again is is um, a wonderful experience for me. So this episode rocks. I love it. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Brad, Brad lost his chance. So Chris, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Serves him right. That's what you get for eating and hydrating. Or on a letter scale, if you want to go with the Bebo book report way mm. that you can listen over at Friends of the Course podcast. Um, what would you read this episode and why? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really weird with ratings because I'm very, I'm like always inclined to give things like perfect scores and like I feel guilty when I do. So I try to like talk myself out of that. You're but, the guest. You don't have to feel guilty on this show. But, you know, I would say this is like a 9.5 out of 10. You know, I don't I don't think it's uh, necessarily like I think like 10 is like literally like no problem. Like, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect. It is it is pretty much perfect. Um, but yeah, like close, you know, a, a plus 9.5 out of 10. I think, like Sarah said, it has the like all the right ingredients for like a Star Wars resistance show. And as we talked about towards the end, you know, just with 
like Vroom Vroom and the way the aces are portrayed and the 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 flight sequence is like one of the best things about the show and I think like this episode really did a great job in that and there's other episodes in the series that do as well but like something with the combination of the water and the giant sea creature and and the emotion all behind it and like again Niku sort of giving up this thing that he's grown so close to so quickly and like having the inner strength to do that and also like showing his heart on his sleeve the entire episode I feel like this is the first time where if you were somebody who was kind of lukewarm towards Niku and like maybe thought he was just a little over the top and goofy and annoying like this might be your first episode where you go oh this guy has a big heart I feel bad that I ever doubted him and I think that's something Yeager sees and Tam sees and everybody in the Colossus sees and I think you as the viewer go along that journey with the other characters and and changing your perspective on Niku so I think the power of the episode kind of resides in that 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 mind shift of like oh Niku's actually like an amazing character who like would give up anything for anybody and like loyalty is his number one thing and that's like really awesome so the more i talk about it you know the more i'm inclined to give it a 10 out of 10 so i'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10 because yeah! i talked myself into it and i don't feel bad around these parts because i'm here and i'm doing it and we're doing it live and it's great and it's a good time and this is your your guest you can do whatever the <laughs> fuck you want the only thing we can't do yeah. is that bitch that bitch can get the hell out of here 10 out of 10 Fucking yeah. Fuck we don't yeah. have that luxury because we're looking at the entire show. So Chris, what's your score? <laughs> I actually, I, I think this show is firing on all cylinders and it's not like a like super groundbreaking in the story, but it's got to that point where the story is inexorably moving forward and it's got the, you know, incredible visual elements in the story. So this is my, I think this is my first nine. Is it really? I think yeah. I, I think you gave the platform classic with Yigger's brother a nine, but I, I might Ooh, be misremembering that. I might have. But you really like, liked yeah, that episode. I'm giving this one a nine. Yeah, I think this one's a great exa- like, example. Like, this would be a great example episode to show somebody who hasn't, you know, seen it before to just sort of be like, here, this has everything in it, and it would be... They they wouldn't have to know exactly what was going on to enjoy it, but it's yeah, it's it would be just here's a little bit of everything that you see in the show. Well, I'm the I'm the bitch with the low score. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I no, no, it's not that like for me like I really like this episode. I just like other episodes. You better. just generally score lower in 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 a lot of ways, except for certain uh, things that have it, it, like. Like if it's my callus and my zen, right, like they're in an episode, I'm just like, oh my god, shifts. Or if it's like flying. my grande boyfriend and grande boyfriend's yep. like, hey guys, I'm here. If it's my blue as bando, and he's like, hey, I have a blue yeah. dick, it's great. Like if it's like, I have certain yeah. things, but it's favorite. actually no. Like I just, I, I think I, I just like other episodes better. Like I just, when I think of resistance, um, or actually when I think of like Miku episodes, I think of the engineer. Um, but Bebo is a very close second. Mm-hmm. Um, so but this, I, I don't want to like say that this is a bad episode because this is a great episode um it's a good niku episode i love all everybody around him especially how tam acts and yeager um the animation is gorgeous i love sonara's stories here i love bebo and his mom's animation so i gave it an 8.5 out of 10 just so i can have some wiggle room god what a terrible that's story. totally valid yeah. how how Whew, i know i can't even imagine no someone room rating it hello <laughs> i can't believe i even there, on this podcast I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but 
I do want to take this moment to say that we have a very special announcement. So next week, um, we are doing a very special episode of J Guys and Jedi. Um, and it's something that I would like to do more. So if you guys are ever interested in joining, that's fine. Um, so Chris, as I mentioned earlier, doesn't read a lot of the books. And I read. I like to re- enjoy the books and the comics. And I we, we were talking and we're going to do I'm going to do some solo episodes with guests talking about like the books and stuff like that as special episodes of J Guys and Jedi's and our first one is next week and I sit down with my friend Arzu Amin from the Geeky Waffle and we talk about our reactions to the High Republic so far and we talk oh. about the first three books and the comics up to that point um, we recorded a few weeks ago it gets dirty we definitely talk about Marcion Rose Fleshlight which is why I mentioned oh. it oh. Oh, okay <laughs> he's definitely it's got gonna one get freaky on the podcast it's gonna get weird <laughs> well, it's me and Arzu of course it is we you should see our DMs to each other um, but no, but but for all seriousness, we're go- we're gonna talk about like our first reactions to the High Republic. And we're gonna talk about like the colonization, um, how aliens are treated in the High Republic, mm. um, the diversity of it. Like we we go and we talk about a lot of things. So I'm really excited about you guys hearing these episodes. And if you listeners, if you like these episodes, I totally want to do more where it's like talking about the books and stuff because it's just not Chris's jam, but it's my jam. And we want to bring you more stuff to J guys and Jedi. So next week's a very special episode. Hey. Books are great. I'm yeah. happy for you. That's really exciting. Ours is I, great. So it's like a perfect guest to have on for your first uh, book episode. I, I I love that woman so much. I wish she wasn't so far away because I, I just hang out with her all the time. Can we please, well. please get some Star Wars Resistance books? Give me the Vanessa Doza book, please. For the love of God. I want to know about her in the rebellion. I, <sighs> I Anyways. Yeah. Could uh, happen. Oh, there are there are okay. I did find two Star Wars adventure adventures comics. Yeah, that, there are two, and I've read them. They're really good. They're a lot of fun. I'm I'm about to buy like six copies of the one that I can still find in print, um, <laughs> low key but high key, because I was like, I I need it. But the they're the one if you call the cover, there's number sixteen and number seventeen. One of them has the cover of um Chasm Poe. That one I can't find. So, and, mm-hmm. but I don't want to buy. I don't want to pay thirty dollars for it secondhand because I'm a, I'm a little cheap. Um, but <laughs> um, I will buy uh, the one that I can I can find. So I'm very excited That's to read those to because for some reason I haven't I haven't read them yet because I didn't know they existed, and now oh, I do. Yeah. So I think I broke it down last um, Resistance Rem- Remembrance Day, which was also hosted by Friends of the Force, and it's coming up this. August 29th. You just put out the remember date earlier today. Um, And I think I like tallied up like all the Rebels comics versus or Rebels comics and books and like versus the Resistance. And I think I what was it like four things like Resistance has been in like three or four things and that's it. Yeah. So yeah, I totally agree. Anyway. We're not doing feedback this week, listeners, because we have lovely guests, but you guys know where to find us. Leave us feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True True Freaks Facebook page. And yes, Brad, Sarah, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The last thing, where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, Goodreads and Letterboxd at SCH221, and on Instagram at Sarah's Puzzled Pages, which is like a bookstagram account that I'm I'm trying. I'm not doing a great job at, but I'm like I'm trying. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
So you can find Friends of the Force at Friends of the Force on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram and YouTube. We just did a WandaVision episode. We're doing a THX 1138 episode next, which has a lot of room room in it, and I'm very excited for that. Ooh. And uh, again, if you're a big Star Wars Resistance fan, I'm sure if you're listening to this episode for this long, you definitely are. We interviewed a ton of the cast members last year as part of the Remembering Resistance Day event. So again, it's hashtag Remembering Resistance. We just kind of put a little bit of a save the date wedding invite sort of dealio on Twitter to say, hey, August 29th, 2021, hashtag Remembering Resistance, be there or be square. And if you're wondering why would I do that, we got a lot of submissions last year. Cast members were tweeting about it. If you want the show to come back in any shape or way shape or form you have to tweet that because otherwise people are not going to be knowing that there's a lot of love of the show left and uh the show the fans are money yeah the fans are the ones that keep these shows alive so the more we speak about it i mean the the snyder cut happened anything is possible like i'm a firm believer in that so i will say if you want to um like low-key like super low-key like harass your friends who haven't watched star wars resistance yet and be like hey guys you should do it um the remembering resistance tag is a, is a good place to go because uh just we're treating a lot of those uh not to like i don't mean to like hype up us uh, hype us up a lot but um that's not not my goal here but um i did get a couple of friends last year who had not watched resistance to watch resistance and then they fell in love with it because they saw everybody tweeting about it so think about it Get your non-resistance friends to join in on the fun. I'm just going to move my computer a little bit closer to me so I can say, you guys, you should absolutely hype up Friends of the Force. They are a fantastic <laughs> podcast. You should do it anyway. Yeah. Hype them up. Yeah. Do, all the, do all the hyping. So, Chris, where can people find you? Let me gently put my laptop back down. Oh, before that, that <laughs> so um, so you're doing THX 1138. Did you know there was, have you ever read the novelization? No. No. This will be Sarah, our first we like time books. watching both of it. Yeah. It's, it's, or both it's, of us watching it. Words it's actually, I thought it was really rare, but it, you can usually find it on eBay really cheese, cheap. It's um, oh. by the, a really famous sci-fi author named Ben Bova, too, who d- didn't do a lot of, like, for hire work. Don't and tempt me. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very good. It's a very good... Uh, you could tell he sat down to write it as just sort of like his own science fiction novel. I mean, it's directly to the story, but it's really good. Interesting. Really good. I'll have I to look into it. I don't think you understand how many books we have on our schedule, and you just you just unknowingly added one more just, in. No, that's <laughs> my life. You just, you just, you just did that to us. I'm an insane <laughs> bibliophile, and yeah, and and I like I collect novelizations. But most novelizations, I think, are just terrible. But I, lo- but they're also a good reference to like yeah, what the yeah. original script script was before you know before a final screenplay. So you get scenes that. But when they hit, when they're good, sometimes they're unbelievable. And like THX eleven thirty eight is one of my. It's right up there with the uh, ET novelization by William Kotzwinkel, who's an incredibly good author. And then he wrote the sequel to E.T. If you ever want to read the sequel to E.T., there's the E.T., the Book of the Green Planet by William Kotzwinkel that's canonical E.T. lore. <laughs> and it's great. It's a, it's a really charming book. 
Hey, Chris, shut but, the fuck up and tell people where they can find you. <laughs> That's where we keep all our podcasts, including this one. Also, pretty soon, the, the Akadek Ganagan Theater Works, we're going to have our own website also. And we've we've purchased the domain name atw.ninja. So, uh, dot ninja. Oh, yeah. yeah be dot ninja when, when we get set up. So that's coming soon. So come there for all your audio drama. Chris, Get away from your regular they life. They doing uh, Strangers in Paradise by Terry Moore, and they have Terry Moore's approval to do it. <laughs> so. Yep, and all sorts of other. We've done a, a cryptid love story and some public domain comic adaptations. But, um, let's see, you can also find Two True Freaks on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, the Two True Freaks Podcast, and the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is sort of a hangout place. The, the podcast one, we sort of put up all our, our shows, for, and we have a lot of shows. And we are also on Twitter, and our Twitter is run by the legendary Gene Gene, the tweeting machine. It's a thing, don't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, it just happens every it happens every it happens time. Every episode, it happens when you mention Gene. It just yeah, happens. you say Gene and there's a theme song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gene's uh, a theme song. <laughs> but that's about it for me. Where can they find you, Hope? Uh, you can find us at Guys and Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molinex on Twitter. If you want to read my reviews, and I've written a lot about Resistance, um, a lot of them for Remembering Resistance Day, you can read that at Geeky Girl geekygirlexperience.com um, that's where you can find those and Chris and I have another podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons um, I forced Chris to watch my favorite animated shows we are finishing up Gravity Falls and Chris is about to start watching Avatar The Last Airbender for the first time <gasps> Yay! hey if you guys want to come it, it was great. That, I had that. you can I've, I've, right. I'm getting so Call excited because <laughs> I, I was with the whole uh, crew of our horror podcast and they're they, and they were like blah 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 and I was like yeah I'm just getting ready to to watch Avatar and I got the same exact re- reaction they were all just like yay and they're like have you ever seen it before and I'm like no and they're like oh lucky season so I'm, two I'm is getting so pumped. good I'm getting Tales pumped. from Bossing say oh oh well See, the I'm... thing about it is just among like all the ages of people I know and groups and affiliations. Avatar The Last Airbender just has this universal of just like people go like ooh. So I'm I'm excited. Rightfully so. Yeah. So you can check that out um, anywhere you find your podcast under Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. That's correct. All right, Brad, Sarah, thank you guys so much for joining us on the show. It thank was you. such a pleasure to have you, and I'm so Sarah, I finally get to see your face for the first time. I'm so excited! Hi. Such fun. I know. Um, and I guess come back next week, and we'll talk more. I don't even know what we're talking about next week. Something resist. Actually, no. Next week is me and Arzu talking about Martian. Yeah, you already night. told them what they're talking about. <laughs> then we're talking about back. the next episode. Yep. <laughs> and then come back for more resistance goodness. So. Alright, everybody. Everyone say bye. 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 Visit our website at Two True Freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. 
you can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Moist.